Hi friends, welcome to another live stream. And today I'm here with Julian Leniger. He's the CEO of the Bitcoin only startup Relay. And uh, he's founded three companies in the crypto space. He's 30 years young. And today we will do a long form conversation about Bitcoin. Why Bitcoin? What are the risks of Bitcoin? Why does he um, operate a Bitcoin-only startup and much, much more. We just uh, will keep going as long as it's interesting. As always, um, feel free to uh, write uh, questions, comments in the live chat. And uh, yeah, Julian, welcome to the show. Hi, Remo. Thank you very, very much for having me. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. Yeah, let's start. How many people own Bitcoin today? Well, today, the rough estimate, I think, or the last kind of number that I have in mind is around three to 400 million uh, all over the world. In Switzerland, it's like 15%. In places like Nigeria, for example, or certain South American countries can be up to 30% already of the population that owns Bitcoin. So definitely... It's not, uh, it's not nothing. So it's not like that small of a niche that people might think. It's already, you know, a considerable amount of people worldwide that have uh, that own Bitcoin. It depends like what country you're in. Um, and yeah, I think uh, this is definitely something that is here to stay, you know. And uh, if you look at the internet, like if you had asked this question to an inter internet entrepreneur 20 years ago, or let's say 25 years ago in the middle of the 90s, then you would have gotten the exact same, uh, you know, response that, you know, how many internet users are there? He would have probably said 300 million roundabout. We're actually 1998 right now, if you compare uh, the users, user numbers of the internet back in the 90s, mid 90s, to the Bitcoin users right now. That's what I find pretty interesting It's uh, yes, Already a considerable amount of people own Bitcoin, but we're still very, very early. Uh, how many people own Bitcoin in the developed nations? Uh, for example, I, th I think I saw a tweet uh, that 15% of the people in Switzerland already own Bitcoin. Um, how much is it in Germany or the US, for example? Uh, I, I, I would need to check and research this. Also, it's actually quite hard to find out the exact number because yes, there are Bitcoin wallets, but one person can own you know, 100 Bitcoin wallets. Uh, and then there are some wallets that are owned by many people. For example, at exchanges, you know, Coinbase, the biggest exchange in the US and one of the biggest in the world has just crossed 100 million retail investor users or customers. So 100 million users kind of own Bitcoin through um, Coinbase, but they all, all of these Bitcoin are basically on one uh, wallet or, or, or just a few wallets. So it's really hard to say. The stats are not uh, entirely you know, precise, but I would say yes. So the, the Germany, I would say, is, is a bit behind Switzerland, but not much. So because I know Switzerland is 15%, probably I would, I would say Germany is probably around 10%. And this goes probably for, the, for most more developed countries. I think the US is also between 10, 
something like that. And then as said before, emerging countries, many of them are, are way higher already up to double that amount to so like 30%. This means that every, like every third Nigerian today actually owns Bitcoin. Uh, and why? It's obviously because because of necessity, right? Uh, we we saw that a couple of months ago when they had crazy bank runs um, because they changed uh, because the inflation was so high, so they had to change the banknotes, and people who, who wanted to go exchange the old banknotes to the new ones, and there were not enough new ones, so people actually lost money in that process. So everything went crazy, and that's just shows you what can happen if you have a centralized financial system that doesn't work anymore correctly. Um, and they find Bitcoin, which is a decentralized, uh, neutral, uh, you know, digital global form of money that is open to everyone and that is not manipulated by some central authority. And obviously they, this solves a lot of problems for them. That's why the adoption rate in such emerging countries is usually way higher. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, you said out of necessity. So now we had this huge banking crisis in the in the US over the weekend. Um, people are losing trust in banks, are starting to question, are my deposits really safe? Mm. Um, is fiat really safe? So I think we are at a really um, interesting point in time right now. And Bitcoin just crossed 26,000 again um, uh, for the first time since June last year. Um, mm. So it seems that there is a shift uh, towards Bitcoin and th that Bitcoin could be seen as, as a safe haven um, mm. uh, compared with, with everything else. So I think we are in a really interesting time. Um, but the other question is also regarding the number of uh, Bitcoin users, right? If we drill deeper, the question is if you hold Bitcoin at Coinbase, do you really own Bitcoin <laughs> right? <laughs> or do you just own a uh, number in an Excel uh, spreadsheet? Right. So right. I think we, we have to go layers uh, deeper and um, yeah, I, I don't know how, how many, I mean, yeah, there are numbers of, of active addresses with, with mm -hmm. X, X amount of, of Bitcoins on them. So I think this, this could be a uh, estimate of, of the real um, yep. users uh, uh, that really own Bitcoin in self-custody. Yeah. Uh, because I think what we learned last year with with BlockFi and all the others is that it's uh, it could be dangerous to hold uh, Bitcoin in a in a custodial way, right? So, so oh, how, how how do you think about companies like Coinbase, uh, custody um, solutions, or um, some uh, stock market based solutions where you don't really um, hold the Bitcoins? Um, do you think? Um, we need that. Do you think um, it's just a stepping stone towards the future and in the future, everyone will hold Bitcoins in self-custody? What, what, what are your views on, on custody versus non-custody? I think there's, a, there's definitely space for pretty much everything. Uh, there won't be a future where everyone in the world is just going to do one thing and not the other thing. Uh, so there will be banks in the future, there will be exchanges, custodial exchanges in the future, and obviously there will be non-custodial wallets in the future. And it's going to be a mix um, because it's it makes sense to, um, you know, um, have banks, for example, that are uh, very, you know, regulated and that have hundreds of years of experience and specialized, are specialized in uh, custodials. Uh, to, to, like to take custody of uh, assets, for example, for institutionals uh, that have billions of dollars, like or or for uh, high net worth individuals that have millions, tens of millions, 
most of them don't really want to safeguard these millions in, for example, Bitcoin on their you know, ledger <laughs> or hardware wallet. Um, and, you know, because a lot of things can happen and then there's the, the, the questions of uh, taxation, there's the question of um, like succession planning, uh, you know, uh, and, and all of that kind of things. What, what happens when you die with the Bitcoin and everything? So these are the things that um, like how to safeguard assets and how to manage assets. This is what um, banks have specialized in the last uh, couple of hundred years. So it, it makes sense for them to kind of upgrade to the Bitcoin financial system and, uh, and, and uh, improve their services in that regard because they, they will still have customers. Also exchanges, like exchanges are not really for holding your money, but, but for trading. Uh, so if you want to trade any fiat currencies to Bitcoin, for example, you need to have an exchange. You need to have an order book that basically consolidates all the buy orders or sell orders and matches them so that they can create a price. And at least to date, there's no real like decentralized exchange, kind of non-custodial solutions for that. So this needs to be custodial. Uh, so exchanges like Kraken, for example, uh, or Coinbase, they have a service that makes sense because people want to trade, obviously. But they're not very well for for custody taking custody of your assets there you'd probably rather want to go for a bank if you have high amounts and you certainly always want to have some amount your own um, on your own you know self-custody depending on how much you are comfortable with you want to actually own your financial future right you want to own your money and this is possible in a digital way now with bitcoin that hasn't been possible uh, for a very long time it's important just that people understand that they are at a risk whenever they have a counterparty risk, be it an exchange like FTX that shows you a certain amount of Bitcoin, it sells you a certain amount of Bitcoin and shows it to you on a display, but not actually owns the Bitcoin to send it to you. And also banks like uh, Silicon Valley Bank that now just collapsed because they didn't really have the liquid assets to um, meet the, the demands for like They can't really wire all the money. In the end, what people see on their deposits um, on the fractional banking system, like at a bank, they see 1 million in deposit or whatever, uh, but only like 3% of that is actually liquid money. All the other, like all, the rest is just a number. So if more than 3% in the world goes and tries to withdraw their money in, in banking, it doesn't work. There's no, there's, the money is just not there. Um, and so you always, as people always need to be aware that they, if they choose a custodian, they have a counterparty risk, be it a bank, be it an exchange. Um, so in the end, you should always have at least a certain amount in Bitcoin and non-custodial. And then there's always the, the argument of, oh, um, a custodial is fine as long as it's regulated, like regulation helps and everything well to a certain degree but ftx was a highly regulated company you know uh, svb so silicon valley bank was a highly regulated uh, company they were around since the 80s so for almost 50 years um, they have been a regulated bank they have been huge they have been one of the top 20 banks largest banks in the u.s you know, you can be very large, you can be regulated and still banks can fail. So for me, the only real store of value to can actually own yourself and you can sleep comfortable with is Bitcoin. I might be biased though. <laughs>
Absolutely. Un unless you bought at 70,000 and now we're at uh, 26,000, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's always, um, yeah, it's always a matter of, of perspective and, but, but I think what this all shows for me is that so much, uh, knowledge is still needed and how early we really are, uh, because, um, people think that when they have a Coinbase account that they really own their Bitcoins or that they are safe and that they don't have any counterparty risk. I don't think that the 100 million Coinbase customers that they are really aware of what the deal is. Mm. And I'm not saying that this is bad, but you should be aware of it and you mm. should um, do your own risk management. And I think the probably the best um, way to go about it is to just diversify. If you use um, centralized exchanges, then better have three and not just rely on one. Uh, if if you uh, want to have some money stored there, or if you have a hardware wallet, better have three different solutions or use a multi-sig wallet and then another hardware wallet or whatever, but just don't put all your eggs in one basket. I think uh, last year really showed that this is a bad strategy. Hmm. And I also think that what happened with FTX, for example, was a huge gift for the crypto and especially Bitcoin economy because it... Um, showed us that we really need to go back to the roots and really need to understand what Bitcoin was created for, right? Um, that it's, um, yeah, Nick Szabo uh, had this uh, famous uh, blog post where he says that trusted third parties are security holes. Mm. So you shouldn't, in, in the Bitcoin system, Bitcoin, in Bitcoin, you don't have to trust anybody. You can verify with, with encryption and with, with cryptography, but you don't have to trust anybody. And um, I think, this is a uh, yeah, just a, a bad state of the crypto economy that um, we have built so many centralized um, institutions, and now we are experiencing that they can fail. Fail, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, I think we just yeah. It, for me, it shows how early we really are. And and you said it probably there are hundred or three hundred or whatever, just a tiny percentage of the world population um, has uh, crypto or Bitcoin, and um, of those, I would argue less than 1% really understand what they own and, mm. and have a strategy about it. So we are so early. Mm. And um, yeah, I think um, what, what for me, what, what, uh, mm. what's really interesting is that Bitcoin is a global phenomenon, right? It was created mm. in a special time. It was created uh, under special circumstances. Um, it doesn't have a founding team. It doesn't have a central organization or anything. And it's really pure and it's really global. And, and I don't think that, for example, we in Switzerland here, we really understand the potential of it because we have a roughly stable uh, fiat currency. We have a good banking system. We don't really need Bitcoin, right? But people in Nigeria, people in wherever, Argentina, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, etc., they really need Bitcoin. They need something like Bitcoin. So I think this is really interesting. Right. So um, do you think um, Bitcoin could work if the value of the price wouldn't go up because one criticism of bitcoin is that it's an ngu numbers go up game if mm. numbers wouldn't go up people lose interest and we see that right now we see um since the the all-time high a lot of people lost interest um when i do a bitcoin video now i have so many less views on my channel than i had a year or one and a half years ago so it's obviously true that um when it price goes down people lose interest so do you think Bitcoin could still be successful if the price would stay flat or wouldn't go up? Or is the appeal that the numbers go go up? What, what would you say to that? That's almost a philosophical question, you know? So in the end, 
one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, right? This is a meme in, in obviously the Bitcoin space, Bitcoin Twitter every day. This is uh, posted. Um, and it's, but it has some truth to it. I mean, if you are believing in the system and if the the finan this financial system works for you, then you can hold your money there. You can actually own your financial future. Uh, you can exchange this for whatever you uh, want um, and you can store your value there. Uh, and then it's the, the question of price is always a, a supply and demand driven, right? And it, the question is, what do you measure it against? What other as what what's the price? Like the one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, but one Bitcoin is how many USD? One Bitcoin is how many bananas? One Bitcoin is how many smartphones? You know, and so it depends on what you measure it by. And if you measure something that is uh, absolute scarce, there will never be more than one, 21 million Bitcoin. If you measure this by a currency like US dollar or euro that is ever expanding since, you know, the beginning of time or it's mainly since in the, last, in the last 50 years, this is always expanding, expanding, expanding. Obviously, the price will go up. Now with Bitcoin, it only exists for uh, a bit more than 10 years and it went up and down all the time. It's very volatile because it's still very early. It's still in kind of the free market is still evaluating what really what what price is one bitcoin um and this is still ongoing still very hard uh, to find out um and i think it's almost impossible for bitcoin to stay stable um you against any other currencies because it's just supply and demand and free market there's no way how bitcoin can be stable against all these other assets so either either it's it fluctuates up and down or it's just like on a big bigger time horizon let's say 100 years from now i believe we will look back at the bitcoin chart and it's gonna make in the 100 year chart will be like this like linear up basically but if you look at the 10 years or the one year chart it's always going to be fluctuating um, because there's a constant uh finding of of the price uh, against other assets and some assets might uh, it, it, like get more value like appreciate against bitcoin but most other assets i would believe because bitcoin is the scarcest thing you can own in the world will probably depreciate so the price will go up so the number will, no, that's where the, the ngu number go up uh, meme comes from and i believe on the long time horizon this will uh, prove to be true um, but in the end it's it's strange like it it is in in one one way it's very volatile so it's always going to go up and down and in my opinion in the long term it will go up but on the other hand it's actually a stable coin because one bitcoin is one bitcoin it's the stable the most stable thing you can you can have now if bitcoin stays for whatever reason, which I I believe is un impossible, but even if it uh, just as a thought experiment would stay at like 20k US dollar for the next 10 years, I believe that we have we would not lose a lot of interest, but we also not gain a lot of interest. So the the distribution all over the world, the network effects, the adoption would be a bit slower. Uh, much slower actually because what brings adoption and that's what we see at relay every day is price fluctuations whenever there's 
times of stability, price stability, uh, we don't have that much to do. Uh, it's that just people have their savings plans running and they buy here and there and they sell here and there, but it's not a lot of you know, not a lot of new people come in. Press doesn't write about it. Like it's a bit boring. If price goes down, people want to buy the dip. People think, okay, it's now it's now you know uh, cheap to buy Bitcoin, and I want to get some. So it, when it goes up, I can sell again. Like the speculators are coming in, and if it goes up, the FOMO is getting started, and that's where we have most work, uh, most new users, uh, mo- like ha- the highest amounts of volume. Because when it goes up, people just FOMO in, so fear of missing out. Uh, they think, oh, it's now you know getting to 100k, and I need to get in. I need to rush in. Uh, so definitely, price volatility brings adoption or accelerates adoption. So I would say, if price just stays um, very stable forever, then the adoption would be just way slower. But I think it would come anyway because. Yes, speculation drives adoption, but ultimately what really drives the adoption is that it's just superior money. It's basically, in the end, if you look at it very rationally, what you want to own, where you want to store your value. And I think more and more people start to understand this, especially with things that happen now, uh, the the financial crisis, but more than 10 years ago, the banking crisis, or I, I think we're still figuring out a name for this crisis, but whatever crisis is happening right now, the more of these financial crises will happen. Uh, the more people will understand where their money is actually safe. But if you're cynical, isn't that proof that it actually only works if if the numbers go up? So so that this theory must be right? Because if people wouldn't buy the dip if they thought that the price would stay the same or would, would go down, they buy the dip because they think they will 10x or 30x their, their money in 10 years. Um, so, uh, but, but on the other hand, I think you're arguing that... Um, because of the characteristics of the four years having cycle and more people, basically the demand is, is getting bigger, the supply is getting smaller or the new supply is getting smaller. So market forces should have the effect that price go up. But um, it also could be just a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because everybody thinks that the price will go up. So everybody buys um, so that the price actually goes up. And then the question is, will the utility be big enough in 10 years, in 20 years, whenever mm-hmm. we reach the magical, I don't know, 500K or a million per Bitcoin, what happens then? Does then everyone sell or does then everyone expect that it goes to 10 million? So, so what, what, what do you see like the, the future speculative um, environment? Um, h- how can this continue? Let's say we hit the 500K in the year 2028. What, what, happens, what happens then in your opinion? Yeah, this is hard to say. This is like the uh, end game scenario. What's going to happen if actually what we Bitcoiners think will play out, uh, that the the traditional decentralized financial system, fiat-based financial system collapses and Bitcoin is kind of the the safe haven uh, where everyone wants to emerge into. It's like the uh, Archenoa in uh, German. I don't know what's it in in English but like it's it's where it's the, the only safe place where you can put your money basically um then uh, i think that another meme could go in come in where it's uh, first uh, slowly then suddenly you know when uh, really price goes goes up because of a reason because of the financial system slowly but steadily starts collapsing and the trust erodes starts eroding 
then uh, and and Bitcoin really hits 100k, 200k, 500k in a matter of a couple of weeks and months, which is possible. Uh, and people believe that it's still the market, uh, the, the the potential market, a total addressable market is still way bigger. Uh, many people argue that it's 1 million, 5 million, 10 million. Uh, actually, some argue that Bitcoin will uh, basically suck in all the monetary energy of the world. So not only the gold price is the market or um, the, you know, uh, uh, all the, the, the other derivatives and everything, but it's just all the money in the world is actually going to flow into Bitcoin at one point. Then it's obviously way higher. And then the, the, the faster this plays out um the more possible it becomes that it's gonna get really hairy and it's gonna get very chaotic because people will just try to rush uh in any means into uh, into bitcoin and at a a very small uh scale we see this now where um banks start to look especially in the us but there's going to be a contagion effect in the whole world so banks look less secure to hold your money so people are looking for other ways and a lot of people are basically now uh, withdrawing their money from banks and put it into bitcoin so again supply and demand supply is fixed so the demand is higher so we saw i think a 15 percent increase within 24 hours of the, of the price if if this um, starts to play out on a bigger scale where not only retail investors and like small institutionals, but big institutions like Apple, Google, Amazon, like these big companies start to put that even 1%, 5%, 10% of their um, treasury, of their balances, their billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of capital flowing in, then this could really start to, to freak everyone out and like everyone wants to, wants to, get in um, and it's can, this could be very uh, very messy uh, how exactly it's going to play out look I, I, I don't know I hope it's going to be in a bit ordinary manner so just like step by step more people find out that it's a good thing to own a little bit of um, Bitcoin and then so more and more people start to uh, hold a bit more Bitcoin and the price will go up uh, steadily I think that would be best for all of us but there is a possibility that uh all of a sudden it goes from 20k to 50k to 100k to 500k and then everyone's trying to rush in there will be a big frenzy uh, i can only imagine how this uh, how this would work it's kind of going to be a bank run uh, trying to get as much fiat money you have and put it into bitcoin um but yeah let's see i don't know maybe yeah, i have i have i've started money. posting posting these these charts on on twitter just as a as a thought experiment so what if Bitcoin would go to number one? So based on uh, silver's market cap, we have a 2.5x um, upside. Based on gold's market cap, we have a 25x upside. And we have almost 500 trillion in global net worth. Mm -hmm. So um, based on that, we could see an upside of more than a thousand X, of course. And then the question is, how big um, or, or yeah, will Bitcoin then be the, the global uh, reserve currency? Will everything be um yeah uh, measured in in bitcoin and how much of the global net worth in the end will will be in bitcoin so that's just a thought experiment but it shows that it could go way bigger than uh, people um realize and anticipate so i would personally i would say that gold's market cap is absolutely possible for me it's even better than gold so it should be a multiple of that and uh, even gold's market cap i think would be 500k right in in the in i think with the current prices roughly 
Um, so um, yeah, we could. I, I think this is absolutely possible in in my opinion. And then the question is, yeah, exactly as as you say, how big will the bank run of the of the old financial system be? I think Elon Musk said it that. Um, I think it was Elon Musk. Um, he compared the fiat system with the with the crypto um, system or with Bitcoin. Uh, so um, he said that basically Bitcoin is a competition for the traditional banking system, of course, of the, for the traditional fiat system, and it can only exist. Or basically, the worse the current fiat system is, the better the other system mm -hmm. um, will will be mm -hmm. uh, comparatively. And I think we are starting to see that now with the banks, with bank runs. Um, that uh, we are seeing a lot of uh, trouble in the in the old financial system, and I think a lot of people are fed up with the financial traditional financial system, especially young people. Um, I mm -hmm. also think if we think maybe philosophically, if we start to build a base on the moon, if we start to build a civilization on Mars, do we really want to recreate uh, bank buildings? Do we really want to have <laughs> like closing hours at 4 p.m. and and not open on Saturday, Sunday, and 20 other bank holidays that we have per per year um, do we really want to recreate that of course not so we will mm -hmm. have a global financial system the only question is will it be bitcoin will it be something else who knows but i think this is one of the appeals and um so 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 maybe when when we go back did you study the, the history of of bitcoin and why do you think it it started so at one point it had no value then uh, there were these pizza transactions and then uh, first exchanges came up. So how did we get from these a few cents per Bitcoin to now 26,000? Um, was it just based on the, on the characteristics of, of Bitcoin, of, of this scarcity, or did people thought they would become rich? Um, what's your feeling? How did we get from zero to, to here? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. I think it, it actually started before Bitcoin was even created. There were already like as the the idea of a digital internet native currency or store of value, like this digital gold idea um, that internet should have its its own money is as old as the internet itself. It started in the eighties where people entrepreneurs started to create. Uh, companies um, around this idea and some of them got really cl close uh, like Hashcash for example or eGold or these are all projects that uh, try to create this global digital decentralized neutral open to everyone currency that is internet based but they all failed at one point um, and uh, at one aspect and even huge companies like PayPal for example uh, from Elon Musk and Peter Thiel. And Peter Thiel talks about this uh, still today la at his last talk at the Bitcoin conference in Miami last year. He said exactly that, that that's, the Bitcoin is actually what they wanted to create, but they didn't get to it. Uh, so they uh, created another centralized uh, monetary network. But actually what they wanted is a, a decentralized censorship resistant one that is purely internet based that cannot be regulated, cannot be shut down, cannot be controlled. Uh, assets cannot be frozen, uh, transactions cannot be blocked and all that kind of stuff that we have now with Bitcoin. So Bitcoin in 2008, 2009 was just really taking all the, it was built on the shoulders of giants. As, as you say, it's like 30 years of innovation that a lot of it has failed. They just put all the pieces of the puzzle together and uh, created something that finally works. 
And um, it was funnily coincident that with uh, the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, this was exactly how it, uh, how it came to life with an anonymous, still to this day, anonymous or pseudonymous uh, founder, uh, which I think was also instrumental to the whole story. So the founder or mo most likely founding team really thought this through uh, because most likely that's what you spec people speculate they are the same people that already tried for decades to build these uh, systems. So they knew, you know, they, they already failed a couple of times. Mainly, they already also always failed because they had a centralized party, central party uh, that was a security hole or uh, a, just a central point of failure that could be regulated, could be shut down, you know. And so a person like a CEO a founder personality, a founding team, a, 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 a company, a foundation, whatever. These are legal uh, instruments that can be shut down. And that happened to most of these projects. They either, they either got hacked or they got shut down by the government because uh, obviously they don't want competition in money. And, and so Bitcoin was the first protocol that uh, achieved this. And at the beginning, it had no value because no one, really used it no one even knew it it was only known to a couple of dozen people on you know some some cyberpunk freaks <laughs> and so they didn't really give it any value and no one else even knew about it so again value is demand and uh, supply and so no one really demanded it first time it really got value was when it, people started to understand the potential what how valuable this could potentially could be. And Hal Finney already said, I think 2009 or 2010, Hal Finney is now dead, but he's believed to be one of the founding uh, people, or at least one of the first guys who transacted with the network. And he already said back then, as like as visionary as he was, uh, that uh, one sat could be uh, worth as much as one dollar at one point and like bitcoin could one bitcoin could be worth millions because it's just perfectly designed to hold to store value and and, and, and just then, to just, just to clarify what's one set and and how much would that be in in uh, per bitcoin yeah good point uh one set is 100 millionth of a bitcoin so you can divide bitcoin in 100 million units and one is a, a sat uh, this is abbreviation of satoshi and satoshi nakamoto is uh, obviously the founder or the pseudonym the name of the founder or founding team uh, that has brought bitcoin to life and so one sat today i need to check for you how much in let's say usd this is um Right now it's three cent. So one Satoshi is, is around three cent right now as we speak. Uh, yeah, so it's not a lot yet, <laughs> but uh, according to Hal Finney, this could be uh, go up to one dollar and one Bitcoin could be uh, uh, several millions of dollars. And so more, more people started to understand the characteristics of it. Um, why Bitcoin works, why it can be, it can't stop, can't be stopped. It can be hold, held um, non-custodial, like people can hold it without any third party. It cannot be uh, debased uh, or just printed away by central banks. Uh, it's digital, you know, you can send it around very easily through the whole world for a fraction of like a, a dollar, so very, very low amount. 
um, it's unstoppable. It's not you cannot censor it, and so all these great um, and it's it's scarce. Uh, so it's kind of a digital gold kind of thing. So all these things that now are studied really, there were some visionaries that already then understood this, and that's why they were just you know buying 100 bucks or 200 bucks worth of it. So that's where a price started to appear first. The first price was actually, I think, 10 cents, because at this point in time, it was probably 2010 or something, 10 cents was exactly the amount of energy, like the price of the amount of energy that you would use to mine one Bitcoin. So the first Bitcoin got sold for 10 cents. And then from there on, it was just really there. There were first exchanges kind of uh, happening. And so from there, there was this price finding process. Uh, some people bid maybe more because I, I don't think this is only worth 10 cents. I think it's worth 15 cents. So I, I'm, able, I'm willing to buy 15 cents. And so this is how it went up and up and up into this uh, famous pizza day where someone paid 10,000 Bitcoin for one pizza. I think it's 2011 or something. Um, and then it started to also work as a transaction, a medium of uh, exchange as a, you know, transacting uh, mean. And, um, and that's how it accrued more value. And then all these speculation bubbles came. But it really, where it started was people were just buying a little bit in case it catches on. This is another quote. I don't know if it, was from Satoshi itself or also from Halfini or some early guy like maybe Adam Back someone said um, you know it might make sense to just buy a few in case it catches on um, <laughs> and if you if you had done this in 2010 2011 I don't think you would need a job anyway uh, today and yeah and to, to come back to the one dollar equals one Satoshi it would be 100 million dollars per Bitcoin right mm -hmm. So it's it's a huge number, and I think I, I just looked it up. I think it's even zero point zero two or zero point two cents. It's it's a really small small number. So long yeah. ways to go to 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 one to one dollar right now. Um. So we have a we have a question here from uh from Jonas. Um, what do you think would happen if a country like Switzerland or maybe even the U.S. would ban Bitcoin because they can't control it? Uh, what would happen to the Bitcoin community in that country then? So do you think Bitcoin could be banned in like a um, uh, yeah, Western country or yeah, or more broadly, what do you think the government could do if they would really see it as a threat to the financial system? I, I don't think they would just go without a fight, right? So what are the ways they could they could find it? Could they tax it 90%? Could they ban exchanges? What what else could they could they do? Yeah, that's a good point. So obviously governments and countries can do a lot. They can ban uh, stuff. They can, as you said, tax uh, things. They can ban also different things. They can ban owning it. They can ban uh, exchanging it and they can ban producing it. So mining and all of these things already happened in different countries of the world. Uh, so for example, China um banned mining they also I think at one point banned uh, holding and exchanging um so yes bitcoin can be banned by countries but no bitcoin cannot be stopped in my opinion even through that because it's already as you said at the beginning it's a global phenomena um phenomenon so uh, if you really wanted to stop it the it would need it would require a coordinated 
uh, effort from pretty much all countries. So all countries, all governments in the world, pretty much at the same time, would need to ban it. Um, so it can't really, Bitcoin could not ex escape and it would really drive Bitcoin to a black market. Even, even there, you couldn't stop it because that, that's what happened, for example, when the US uh, banned gold. Uh, gold is independent from any uh, government, from central banks, from banks. You can just hold your, your gold. Uh, you can have it in your pocket. You can run away. You can transact with people that are willing to accept gold. Um, so the only thing that does, if one country bans something, is it, it the, the activity spreads into other countries that do not ban it. That's also what happened with uh, China. China banned uh, mining and like the hash rate, so the whole mining power that is invested into securing the Bitcoin network and to mine new Bitcoins, I think 30% of it within a couple of weeks really flew from, bit from China to other countries. So the hash rate dropped 30% and a couple of months later it was back at an all-time high. It's now back at an all-time high again, even though China has still banned it. So what happened is the miners just said, okay, you guys are banning uh, Bitcoin mining here. I take my stuff, I fly to another country and I set it up there. And actually they, I think in the process, found out that there's some cheaper and more sustainable energy in other countries to use and that they have way more flexible and open, uh, friendly regulations. So these these entrepreneurs just, you know, because we live in a global society, they just go into another place and do their thing. And that's exactly what happened Um so I think, yes, you can ban it in certain countries, but it would be a, diff, a disadvantage. It's, it will prove to be a disadvantage for, for countries to ban it because they can profit from it. They can have like, successful entrepreneurs building billion-dollar companies in this industry. They will pay taxes. You know, They will have a lot of employees. They will buy property and everything. So they will um, increase the, the value of the country in the end. Um, that's what happens in El Salvador, for example. A lot of Bitcoin uh, entrepreneurs go there and they increase the, you know, the uh, way of, of life, the quality of life there uh, overall. Uh, and that's what you lose out if you as a company, as a country decide to ban uh, Bitcoin. And so, yes, you can ban it. You cannot stop it because it would require really uh, a global um, joint effort from all countries, all governments to ban it right now. And even then it would continue to work because how do you know whether or not I do have Bitcoin as a government? How do you know? Uh, you, you cannot know. You cannot know how much taxes I should file. You cannot take it away from me. I might have 12 words in my head that's worth 10 million. You don't know. So it's, it's really hard. Uh, I think that's even, that's also why countries don't really try anymore. I think most of the sophisticated countries uh, have kind of understood that and go rather the other direction of making, trying to create circumstances that are favorable for Bitcoin to attract all this activity, to attract this whole new industry that is being built. Um, and in the end, have a, big, uh, have a big piece of that. I think that also makes more sense from their perspective. And, and what do you think if... Yeah, let's say that the U.S. With the, with the U.S. dollar really sees it as a threat to the U.S. dollar, sees it as a threat as the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency and really wants to clamp down on it. Maybe they, they understand they cannot 
ban it outright or it wouldn't um, have an effect, how, how else could they hurt the, the, the ecosystem? Um, what do you think if they really wanted to fight it? What, what, what tools do they have? Yeah, they could, they could tax it. Um, I think now they already start with this in certain states. They tax, I think, energy that is used for Bitcoin mining at like 30%, some crazy rate. They could tax uh, the ownership of Bitcoin, obviously. And then this would exactly have the effect um, that these people, which are entrepreneurs, investors, rich people, that actually a country like the US want to keep, they would uh, go to any other country. For example, El Salvador or Madeira or uh, Central uh, African um, Republic and all these early movers, these nations that have that are outspoken, open to Bitcoin. And there are many more to come, um, in, especially in South America, you know, Uruguay, Paraguay, Brazil, Argentina, big countries um, are, are thinking about it and are, are becoming more and more open to, to the fact of Bitcoin. And so they will just go away and they will do their thing in, in another country where they sometimes even have zero tax uh, to, to attract because they understood that this is a very attractive industry to have in your country. So they try to attract rich people. And that's, that, that's a game that is as old as nations. Nations always try to attract rich people to increase um, their uh, living standards and to make in, in the end to, to make money and keep money in the country. Um, and I think that's how politicians think about it. Those who understood it. Um, and if not, they will start, you know, taxing and they will start making life, the life of Bitcoin holders and miners harder and harder with the, the, the only effect that these guys will uh, move to countries where their life is not hard. Absolutely. So we here have a question by Blockchain Keta. What are your points to orange pill people? So orange pilling is uh, basically a fix it. Uh, yeah. Um, convincing people of, of Bitcoin become Bitcoiners. So what would you, when you meet a random person who's just asks you, what do you do? And is open to the idea, never heard of Bitcoin. How would you orange pill them so that they, um, yeah, buy their first Bitcoins or get, un understand the significance of it? What, what, were, what would your elevator pitch be? No, that's, that's hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like... I would I would always try to start with the with the problem, not the solution, um, because you know what Bitcoiners mostly do is they they have this solution that is so that they like a lot. They are in love with Bitcoin and they try to put it down your throat. So they tell you everything that's super cool about it, like this is so great and this decentralized and censorship resistant and there's only 21 million. You should get something. Some of them, and and this is the this is where most ordinary people just start whoa 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 okay like i'm fine with my bank account and credit card especially as you mentioned before in switzerland we're fine like why why would i why would i like bother with opening an exchange an account somewhere and wire money and buy bitcoin and then i don't know how to hold it and no 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 i mean they don't see the added value in order for people to see added value um, and and kind of a benefit and the reason why they should engage with something they need to have a problem. People are problem problem solvers, so I always start with um, the the financial system, the banking system, how fucked it is, uh, and it's getting easier and easier to uh, argue why it is fucked. For example, you hold money on a bank, 
um, that is actually devaluating at the speed of, depending on where you are, if you are in European countries, between 8 to 10% a year. So you lose basically half of your purchasing power within five years. Um, plus, it's not really safe there. As we saw, you have a counterparty risk. So someone holds your money. You don't know if this company still exists tomorrow and your money can be gone. So there's a risk even. And uh, they charge you for this. So there's there's fees involved. It, it, every time you want to, um, even just for them holding your money, every time you want to transact with your money, you want to pay something, you always pay. You always pay something. Um, and they're not even really, uh, you know, good at good at their job right um so these all of all of this um especially also the counterparty risk where where this is usually where where it clicks with people and they see okay the this actually this is actually that that's not how it should work like i'm just losing the purchasing power of my of my money and someone holds it for me and they can block transactions as well you cannot withdraw sometimes um, you can like uh, you have limits on how much you can spend. You sometimes they just block your card because they found some suspicious uh, um, activity, and then you need to call them to actually so that they actually let you transact. And this is really these are things that people don't like, right? And then once they understood the problem after this first minute, then you can come with the solution. So I, actually, there's a way out of this. It's called Bitcoin. Uh, it's already more than 10 years old. Uh, it has a proven track record. It always worked. It, it never failed the last more than 10 years. It's uh, global, so you can uh, send your money everywhere you want. You can send it now from here in uh, Zurich to Senegal. Uh, within a second, it costs you almost nothing to transact with this. No one can stop it. No one can censor it. You can own it yourself, so you don't have an, a counterparty risk. And there are only 21 million of it, so no central bank can come and just print more. There's no inflation. That There is an inflation, but it's you know exactly how it's going to be, and it's going to be less and less. Uh, so Bitcoin actually will hold its purchasing power. It will even increase. Um, because of the supply and demand. So it's like, um, you can understand it's something like digital gold. And gold has been around for uh, centuries, actually thousands of years, and has always been used as an independent store of value, independent from government, independent from the banks. Um, and if you look at the purchasing power of gold, in the last 100 years, uh, one, you know, a certain amount of gold still buys you uh, a nice suit for example, or it still buys you uh, a, a liter of oil or whatever. Uh, the same suit or the same oil used to be 10 bucks back then, and now it's you know hundreds of bucks or even thousands of bucks. So it's a system that is just you know stable uh, and makes sense to hold your value. So the, Bitcoin is like gold in that regard, but it's digital, and it's way easier trans to transact. It's way easier to... Um, make smaller parts of it and put it together in bigger parts of it. It's, it's easier to use. It's basically easier to use gold in a digital world. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I think you should uh, buy some in case it catches on. That would be probably my pitch. It was too <laughs> long now, but just to give an idea on maybe, you know, depending on how much time you have, these are kind of the arguments that you can give. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, yeah, going back to the number of people who own Bitcoin, how just rough guess how many people do you think own more than one percent of their net worth because if you just own 10 bucks of it i mean it doesn't really matter 
um, mm -hmm. or if if you're a millionaire and you just hold thousand bucks of it, it it's it's not not really relevant. Um, so um, yeah, uh, how how many do you think really own a significant like more than one one percent? Just just a rough rough guess out of the mm -hmm. three hundred million um, you 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 said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would probably think not that many. What what did what did you say? One more than one Bitcoin? More than one percent of their net worth. One percent of their net worth. Huh. Well, I think younger generations are uh, more prone to hold one to ten percent, or even more of their network, like in the net worth. For example, Gen Z and also millennials. I think there it's not really uncommon. For example, there's the study of millennial millionaires. 85% of millennial millionaires, so people between 20 and 35 years that are millionaires, that own more than a million dollars, hold a significant amount of Bitcoin. So this significant amount, I would assume that is more than 1%. This is very high, but obviously then for the other generations that are still roughly 50%, like the older generations, uh, the, the, the you know, boomers, boomer generations and, and others, they most likely all of them don't are, are below 1%. So I would I would say it's very hard, but from these 300 million, it's probably less than 10, is it between 5 and 10% of that? So maybe between 15 and 30 million. That That's just my my guess and uh out of the 15 percent of the swiss people yeah maybe maybe it's more maybe maybe i can, I can imagine that one percent <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's between maybe it's up to one third of it or one fourth of it yeah. yeah the question is what what do you count i mean does 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 it matter if you have a a thousand uh dollars net worth if you own 50% of it, it 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 doesn't really matter in my yep. opinion so so probably you should take people who have more than 100,000 net worth do they have more than i mean just a thousand bucks in, in bitcoin is basically nothing but it would be 1 yeah. 1% right so yeah maybe so, it's more uh, maybe i'm underestimating because people who do hold bitcoin usually hold it for reason not just for fun so they I, maybe they would actually even hold more than 1% yeah maybe i'm under, underestimating maybe it's like a third or even a, even a half of all the people that are now own on more than 1% yeah what's interesting i just googled um i, I haven't fact checked but there seem to be 47 million millionaires globally um, mm -hmm. So basically, even if every millionaire would want to buy one Bitcoin, um, they couldn't do it. So a millionaire could not even buy half a Bitcoin. <laughs> um, hmm. and, and a lot of Bitcoins, maybe we can, we can talk about how many Bitcoins were actually already lost, irreversibly lost. Mm. I think there are um, yeah, estimates that millions of Bitcoins are already lost. People who forgot their keys or died or whatever. So probably there will only be 15 million or 14 or 17 or whatever it may be, yeah. millions Bitcoin. So the 21 million is impossible because re a big number has already been lost. So if we take that, then all the millionaires could only buy like a third of, of, uh, of a Bitcoin, right? Mm. And then we are not talking about billionaires. We're not talking about um, family offices. We're not talking about hedge funds. We're not talking about... Um, uh, companies or organizations or uh, even states and whatever um so yeah. and and we're not talking about people who who are just um, yeah who'd have a net worth of half a million so 
they, they could also they, they would also want to own one Bitcoin. So mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. Um, own some if in case it catches on. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say if if you have a net worth of half a million, um, you should own one full Bitcoin, and then you are ahead. Then you have three times more than an average millionaire in the world could buy if every if if all millionaires wanted to 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 purchase yeah. a, a Bitcoin. Yeah. So so I think that that could be a, a good strategy. And of course, if you're young, if you're super young, then of course you could be even more aggressive because you can. Even if it doesn't work out, you can you can make it up with with your um, with your job and, and and stuff. So so I think um, yeah, uh, there are a lot of good good arguments on the on the on the plus side. Mm -hmm. So um, do you have some kind of valuation model? How would you value Bitcoin? So right now twenty six thousand is that overvalued? Is that undervalued? What is what would be an intrinsic value right now? What would be a fair price? Um, do you have some kind of valuation model that, that works? Because if you have a look at companies, at stocks, you can always have a look at their cash flow. You can use discounted cash flow analysis. Um, you can, when you look at whatever bonds, you can look at the yields that, that uh, it generates. But Bitcoin doesn't generate any yields. Um, what is the fair value? Um, what kind of models do you use to, to see whether it's undervalued, overvalued, how, how do you think about valuation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it takes me back to the point a bit of, of yeah, it, it's value, valued against what other currency, like we are measuring uh, a system that is, uh, is scarce, Bitcoin, with a system that is ever expanding, uh, like the US dollar, uh, which is right now the global reserve currency and the unit of account. So you measure everything in that, but it's like measuring um, you know something with a uh, with a yardstick that is all ever expanding, right? So obviously it will it will be bigger and bigger, but actually in the real world it stays the same size. Um, so in that regard, I think you know the valuation is almost limitless. And there's another meme out there is you know the the value of one Bitcoin is twenty one million divided by infinity. <laughs> so it's just it's actually the value can be almost infinity but yeah that's also gonna get, gets into very um philosophical spheres here but just to show like kind of it it's hard actually to talk about valuation with uh something that is ever expanding and always getting bigger so it's it will always get bigger if it if we continue like that and i don't uh, I, I don't believe that the financial system will ever go back to a like gold standard where um, you know, things are pretty much fixed. Uh, it's, it is just never expanding monetary base. Otherwise, uh, the, the whole world will almost collapse at this point. But what you can take as if, if you look at the US dollar being, being quite of stable and being the unit of account, which is now which now still is the case then you could look at, for example, as you said before, the total addressable market analysis. And what you showed before is how much is silver uh, worth? What's the market uh, value exactly of gold? And what's the global uh, money worth? And so then you can say, okay, if Bitcoin takes all of these markets 100%, then that's what it's worth. Maybe you argue that it's not going to, take 100%, it's maybe going to take 50% or 10%. And that's how you can basically come to a, a number. Um, and that's a very, because, because 
that's that's a method that is used and that makes sense for something like bitcoin because you what, what is bitcoin it's not a company so it doesn't make it, it doesn't make revenues there's no ceo um and and there's no central team and so it why would you compare this to a company it's not a revenue generating thing um so the whole net present value and all these other methods that are used for evaluating stocks and companies they don't apply what would apply is something like gold because gold is a commodity a physical commodity bitcoin is a digital commodity it's even regulated like this from the cfc um in in the, in the states so um that's kind of and, and how gold is now evaluated it's exactly um uh, it's exactly how uh, the, it's exactly the total addressable market and it's the market value uh, of what is the market of holding your money in gold so for example in the, in, in the example of gold these are 12 trillion parts of it are because of industrial value you use it for your teeth you use it for your gold watches and gold chains for the wrappers and everything so that's a bit yeah, that's that's worth no sorry there's actually two so industrial uh, value uh, that you can use for chips and stuff like that and then there's a luxury a lux a luxury value you know there's gold in rolex watches for example and gold chains um, and then but most of the market capitalization of gold is actually monetary value so people just hold gold in their treasures uh, in their safes um, nations just hold gold central banks hold gold uh, as a store of value so this is the monetary market and that's i think i just throwing out a number there it's probably around 80 percent of the whole value is monetary value and so if you say bitcoin as we become more and more digital bitcoin will take half of the monetary value of gold in the next 10 to 20 years uh, then this would be like 10 trillion divided by two would be five trillion and so it would still be probably a more than 10x uh, from now so more than 10x from 20k would be around quarter million so that's kind of how i which, which i think is actually reasonable for like the next 10 years uh, for bitcoin to reach 250k i would not be surprised so that's how i kind of think about evaluate uh, valuation of something like bitcoin yeah, and I mean, I, I understand your arguments. So you say that, um, yeah, have some in case it catches on. But of course, you wouldn't have founded three companies if you just um, thought in case it catches on, right? So mm -hmm. what would be the case of really going in, really going really in? What would you recommend to someone? So what if somebody inherits $1 million tomorrow? Um, would you... Then, or, or what? What? What if you would inherit one million dollars tomorrow? Um, what would you do? Would you go all in in Bitcoin? Would you diversify also into stocks, buy some real estate? Um, uh, would you just DCA in over a certain period of time? Would you buy everything at once? Um, how would you think about it if somebody would really okay? Somebody would really see the future. Okay, the current financial system is broken. We need a global something bitcoin has the best chance of doing that it has a really good track record i think it will really work it will go to half or a full uh, gold value so then it really makes sense to to not just buy one percent right then it mm -hmm. makes sense to 
to to to be a little bit more aggressive so how would you go about it because i think when you think like that then it then you you get very soon to some challenges because the challenge then i mean if you just buy a thousand bucks it doesn't matter if you lose it or forget the keys but if you buy a million worth of bitcoin then you really need to have a strategy where to store mm. it where to diversify how to even buy it because mm. whether you per, whether you pay half a percent or two percent fees it really matters with one million so um uh, all of these questions so i think let's go to this aggressive um state somebody who has a net worth of let's say five million wants to buy one million worth of bitcoin what would you tell uh, to this person and this person doesn't have any deep knowledge right now they just did so some due diligence and really want to now dive in and and go in what what mm. do they need to know to be safe in this new digital world so there are probably two questions in that one i find really interesting is what if i inherit one million dollars today what how would i invest it in and how much would i put in bitcoin uh, i think that's that's an interesting thought experiment for everyone to do um i i would do the same as i do now um like how i divide my very modest <laughs> wealth uh, is is i put half of it in bitcoin um, and I would with a million, I would probably do it not all all in once, but also not via like a two year DCA. I would probably do it in five to ten installments, um, or maybe even less, maybe three four installments. That's actually also what a lot of our high net worth uh, clients are doing at Relay. We have Relay Private and Relay Business. So Relay Private is for high net worth individuals that want to invest more than 100k in bitcoin or also sell and uh, businesses really businesses obviously uh, mainly smes that want to put some bitcoin on their balance sheet um, and so they usually either do it all in once if it's a rather small portion of their wealth and if they think the price is right right now or they put a couple of installments, like let's say 500 bucks, uh, 500k, they divide into five and five times 100k. So you kind of DCA, so you profit from the dollar cost average effect as well in, in that transaction. Um, I would probably do this, like the ladder, and the rest, a little bit, I would put into, in, into the stock market, into like dividend stocks that uh, are usually stable in price and it's kind of uh, like an ETF uh, style of diversification to just, you know, build a diversification around the global uh, economy and um, what else maybe a little bit of gold i'm personally not in a real estate uh, guy because i and also actually not a gold guy so i don't know if i would buy a lot of gold maybe a little bit but i rather usually like assets where i can that, that there's no physical uh, limitation to it so i can just travel around and take my assets with me basically in the digital world um, but that's obviously you know really uh subjective to everyone um how to how, how to store their wealth um but in terms of bitcoin i think most of the people who would really understand who really understand bitcoin they would put uh some considerable amount uh, in um between one and fifty percent. Uh, for me, it would be more than more fifty percent. I talk to people on a regular basis that have like 90, 95, or even ninety nine percent of their wealth in in Bitcoin, which I 
uh, understand, which I think is cool. I try to live on a Bitcoin standard, but I also think it's very early and it's risky because of the volatility that still is here and still will stay for a couple of years. Uh, obviously, the volatility is going to be less and less. And at one point in maybe 10, 20 years, it will be rather stable. But now it's still kind of a Wild West situation where the volatility can be really like 20, 30, 50% every day. And you don't want to be forced. You, you want to still hold some cash or some very uh, other more stable liquid assets because um, you don't want to be in a situation where you are forced to sell your Bitcoin at a low price. It's usually when all the markets crash that when also Bitcoin crash and then maybe you have you know something you have some injury or you need to you, know, you have a car accident whatever you need you need money uh, and then you are forced to sell at a low price that's what you want to avoid that's why you should have at least a, a 10 20 up to 50 percent in cash or li other liquid assets that you can turn around uh, really quickly and that are stable so that you're not forced to um, sell uh, Bitcoin but in the end what, what I also find interesting is like you will hold this on the long run right so if you if you get 1 million today unless you want to buy a house or a, a Lambo or Maserati or whatever you you will not use this money in the next couple of days or weeks you will not use it for years probably so then it really becomes important to think about how to store it in the long run and what usually is true if if you have it in fiat money, then on the short run, it will be stable. But on the long run, it's going to go down. Uh, on the other hand, if you hold it in Bitcoin, on the short run, it's going to be volatile. But on the long run, it's going to go up. And that's where I would like to put at least half of my, uh, of my wealth if I had any wealth. <laughs> yeah, because you believe that uh, your valuation is basically roughly half half of the gold market cap, right? So you, you would expect roughly a 10, 10x. Over what period would you expect that? Um, you said 10, 20 years, that's a little bit fuzzy. Do you expect it in, in this decade or or would you be happy if, if it would be later? What's, what's your time <laughs> horizon for that? Really hard to say. That's something that Warren Buffett got right. He said it's it's rather easy to uh, um, uh, forecast a uh, direction but it's very hard to forecast the timing um, so it might like 100k we might achieve it this year uh, but it might also take 10 years so i would rather go for 10 years uh, to reach this valuation maybe even maybe even more but i i want to be a bit optimistic and i think it will be kind of a slowly but suddenly um movement because um you know I, I learned about bitcoin in 2015 and then a lot happened until beginning of 2018 in terms of price like we went from 500 up and down to at one point 20k and then went down again before corona to 4k or, or right at the corona thing 4k and now it's kind of and now it's still at okay it's at 26k but couple of days ago, we were still at 20K. So it, between 2017, end of 2017 and, two, and, 20, uh, and, and 2023, so in six years, uh, actually the price didn't move. <laughs> you know, if you, hold, if you held it for these six years, the price didn't move. So that's and, a lot of, and a lot of people bought at the top, right? I mean, that's, that's the psychology of it. So 
when it was 20,000, people were expecting 50,000. I was there. I, I expected or not expected, but I thought it was possible. I, I didn't buy at 20, but but um, it, it was possible to go to 50. And when it was 69, one and a half years ago, people thought now it goes to 100, 150, 200. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the big problem, right? And then um, I think the problem is if people don't do their research or and just buy purely on speculation, uh, they bought at 70, now it's uh, 26, and they lost two thirds of, of their of their investment. So of course they would they would um, have a bad experience about it, mm. and the same when they bought at 20k in 2017. Um, so I think you you also need to be a little bit um, yeah cautious, right? So if you inherit at the top of the bull market and you put all your million in in into that at that point, then yeah, at one point it might go down 70, 80 percent as it did a, a, a lot of a lot of times. So you have to expect that. Um, I think, um, yeah, that's that's an, that's an important thing. But I think um, yeah, it's it's more to have proper financial like principles, right? I always talk on this channel, have a um, cash reserve. Personally, I always have a cash reserve of at least one year, better two or three years of living expenses um, to not um, have to sell at a bad moment. And um, of course, um, you have to be able to afford that, but I'm in a fortunate position that I can, so so I do that. Um, then never use leverage, never use debt, um, things like that. And I think um, we still have a lot of bad habits in the in the ecosystem because we have a lot of a lot of young people that are speculating. They think they can get rich with crypto, and uh, they never experienced the dot com crash. They didn't experience the big financial crisis. Um, so it's it's clear that that um, yeah they need to they need to learn. Um, yeah, that times are not always rosy, right? Absolutely. And and that things can go wrong and probably will will go wrong at, at one point. So I think pr having proper habits is of course always good. So it's not just about Bitcoin. I think it's also about just proper financial education, proper yeah. personal finance, um, earn more than you spend, um, <laughs> yeah, and and things like that. Blah blah blah. Mm. That's important. But then I would um, yeah, I, I would also say that right now I would believe that the risk of not holding any Bitcoin is probably larger than the risk of holding some Bitcoin. And then it's just a matter of whether you own 0.5% if you have a super mega, if you're super mega wealthy, or if you go up to whatever 50% as, as you do, if if you can can take the, the risk tolerance and really have the conviction that uh, it will work out in 10 years. So I think we have this spectrum and then I think what's also important to not just look at the at the speculation at the numbers, but to really, um, and that's why we why we do this deep dive today to really understand why it is interesting and why it really has value. We can debate how much value it has. We can debate how to value it. But I think for me, it's clear Bitcoin has value. It's clear that it is a innovation that's important, and uh, that it will continue. To uh, to flourish in one way or another, the question is only how much and how fast. So right. so that's that's why I'm in it, and I also see it as a um, alternative to the current financial system that we have. I see it as an insurance against um, whatever um, government abuse and and uh, all of the um, yeah problems we have in centralized uh, institutions. So I think it has a lot of good things um, going for it. And we also have a question in that um, in that regard. So Chris says, uh, do you believe Bitcoin being honest uh, money that cannot be diluted is the best tool we have to fight the fraud and corruption of the current debt-based system? 
Um, do you have a perspective and why? Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. I mean, that you can think about how a world would look like on a Bitcoin standard, right? So we went basically from a uh, gold standard to a really depth standard. <laughs> so uh, it, it, someone also said, uh, someone I think maybe it was Hayek or some economist said, gold is money, everything else is depth. Uh, so money at this point has become just debt uh, and it can be created by banks that clicking a button and they lend money out that they just created to people. And so it's ever expanding. Um, and then at the next step, in my opinion, could be a Bitcoin standard where, again, money, there may be different forms of money. They might still be national fiat currencies and everything, but it is going to be bound to Bitcoin um, because Bitcoin is is becoming money and everything else is just debt. It's another financial instrument. So um, what would such a world look like? I mean, for example, um, the Silicon Valley Bank would not have been just um, saved by the Fed within uh, two days. Within 48 hours, they just clicked the button, created 200 billion. Uh, it was basically essentially a loan. And so, okay, everything's fine. So this, like these fraudulent systems, mostly banks and investment banks, they can just create massive amount that they can take massive amounts of risk um, and uh, not pay for it. Because if they fuck up, then they will be bailed out by the government. They will just print money and they get the money back. It's like you're in the casino and you're you're playing and if you lose, you get more money. You can just always go to the, the ATM and get more money and lose your shit again until you win. So on, of course, these banks will win against private, you know, people that don't have this uh, hack. Basically, uh, this this creates uh, a lot of fraud and also, for example, wars. Uh, wars are one big reason why banks even have even started to exist and have become so popular and so powerful. Banks basically were started, like the Bank of England, for example, have has started uh, just to lend, to create and lend out money to finance the war uh, and the expansion, the colonialization of the UK. Um, and all the wars, basically, also all the US wars where they were involved in were financed through uh, debt, through money that just was printed. And war, obviously, I think we all agree is a bad thing. So now, if you, if you think that in a couple of decades, all, like, the world is on a Bitcoin standard and all the governments and all the banks need to adhere to this standard because the only thing that really is counted as money is Bitcoin and this is scarce so you cannot just print it then things like very risky behavior in the market by banks and wars by governments could not be financed that easily anymore so you would really start to think hard again what should we finance and why and how much money should we put into it because the money is gone. There's only so much money and it's gone. This is a total different thinking than, oh, look, let's let's take the risk. Let's just, you know, create one or two trillion to um to beat another country. Um so I I believe that Bitcoin in that regard is a more honest uh, money that will have less fraud, less risky behavior. And less war in the end, less less just less negative behavior and activities as a consequence. 
What do yeah. you think, uh, Remo? Do you have another perspective on that? It's an interesting question. I think it's an interesting question. And I think, um, yeah, really people, I mean, I studied business in economics, right, um, at the University of Basel. And to this day, I don't understand how the old financial system really works. I mean, Same I studied here. it. I, I studied I, it at the University of Bern and I also don't understand. I it. don't understand how central banks really work and all the, it just seems really antiquated. It seems really complicated. I don't think that central bankers even understand it themselves, uh, is my honest opinion. Um, no and and uh, especially the fractional banking system. I think people have no idea that um, they couldn't get all their money from a bank. And I think that we should really now stress test banks to really try to withdraw like big amounts and, and really mm -hmm. stress test them because it's, it's just built on such a weak foundation that um, if you withdraw more than a, a few percent that um, everything uh, shuts down and, and cannot work properly, that's, that's, it, it can't be like that. So, um, and I also think you're right that um, if you can create money out of thin air, then you can um, yeah, waste it for things that are not really valuable, like wars and, and stuff like that. So I think that's a really good argument. I haven't thought about this. Um, in, in that way. And um, yeah, I also believe that um, it, it, it really should have a, it really should be expensive to, to like create loans or, or yeah, it, 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 yeah, it shouldn't be as, as easy as it is right now to, to bail out um, big institutions like that. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think um, Bitcoin has a, certainly a, a potential to, to be a more stable, more honest uh, system. Of course, it's not perfect because there are still humans involved and humans are not perfect. Humans are greedy. Humans are flawed. So I think um, the human element won't go away even with a Bitcoin system, of course, but it won't be as abusive or we, we as citizens don't have any control over central banks. Mm -hmm. We don't have any control over how fractional banking really works. And, and as you said, uh, banks can um, stop your withdrawals at any time. You can be required to document your stuff or call them or they call you. I mean, whenever you, I mean, I sold a company, whenever you wire more than $100,000 um, uh, in Switzerland, you always have to like call them and they yeah. need to call you and it's it's a yeah. nightmare yeah. and and with bitcoin you could send a billion to australia and it would be there in in a in an hour when you send it through the main, exactly. main exactly. network right so so it's i think freedom. Um, yeah it it is it is freedom but with freedom also comes responsibility because if you mm. lose your keys then you're completely forked right so exactly. um um, you really need to, uh, you, that, that's, that's why education is so important. So if people really want to get on the Bitcoin standard and really live Bitcoin, then um, they need to have a proper strategy because, um, yeah, you can have an elaborate security system, but then if you can get attacked with a $5 range attack and it doesn't with, uh, you, you didn't uh, take that into account, then you're also fucked. So, mm -hmm. so it needs to really be you. I think if you really take it seriously, it becomes really complicated. Yeah. Because what, what do you do? Do you hold it at home? Do you hold it in the bank? What happens if, if uh, shit hits the fan? Banks, uh, banks close down. So you, you ha don't have access to your safety deposit box. So you need to have a private safety deposit box somewhere. 
do you use multi-sig? Um, mm -hmm. what, what do you what do you do exactly? So I think if you really own large amounts of Bitcoin, then it becomes complicated really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why better solutions are needed. So the user experience needs to be better, like uh, the, the Casa team is doing with the, with the multi-sig uh, uh, solution, I think is really good on the market. But I think we need way more innovation um, like that to, to really secure Bitcoin um, and secure it in such a way that it's that you can inherit it so that your bitcoins aren't lost when you are suddenly uh yeah when you when you get hit by a bus mm. and uh all of these things you really need to think it through and i don't think it's easy and that's i think why these centralized institutions exist like coinbase because it's so much easier to mm. to uh, outsource this responsibility but with outsourcing of this responsibility comes the problem of a central third party, which we now had last year and 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 this year, uh, the huge problem. So I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, again, um, my my uh, conclusion is we are still super early. People don't understand it. They don't even get the fundamentals. How a block? I mean, how many of those three hundred million people could really explain how a Bitcoin block is generated? How how it really works? I, I suspect less than one percent. So we are so early. But if you if you take it seriously, then um, so what would be the step? I mean, you could you could start um, selling your products and services um, for Bitcoin, so that you then have an income in Bitcoin. Then you could start spending Bitcoin. So you basically just have to switch it, and you could switch it when you are um, when you have your own company. Then you could switch it tomorrow, right? You can you can. Um, uh, yeah, uh, denominate everything in Bitcoin and, and only charge with Bitcoin. Mm. The, pro the problem is, um, yeah, whether people would, would accept it, right? But I think some people already are doing it uh, for, for many years and you could, you could do it. And that way you could, um, yeah, you could exit the, the old system, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe not even about like really exiting the, the, the whole si the system, at least not um, directly in, in one go. It's just becoming aware. And I also don't think uh, everyone necessarily needs to understand how a blockchain works, how a block is being mined, like everything in, in detail, like ha how hashing works and uh, encryption and everything. I, I don't think that everyone needs to understand this. I don't understand how a Tesla works. I can still drive one, you know. I, I don't know how my smartphone works. I can still use it, and I, I do use it a lot. So I think that's the same with it. it the only thing you need to understand it that is that it works. And from looking at it, uh, that it is now being used by hundreds of millions of people around the world, and it's been here for more than a decade and didn't go away. It had uptime of 99.99999%. Um, yeah, you know, you, you know enough already that, that it works. Um, and then it's really uh, about exactly creating a more honest, as, as Chris uh, said before, and more fair system. Um, I mean, it's, it's really not your money. And that's what you need to understand. It's really not your money that is on the bank account or on an exchange, it's their money and it's an IOU. So they own it, owe it to you, but that doesn't mean you get it back ever. So if more than 3% of the population will go to the bank and want to uh, withdraw their money in cash, there's not enough. There's less than 3% in ca cash that actual money is, is represented. And um, that's what you need to understand. And it's, un it's an unfair system, why? Because the closer you are to the power source, to 
the big banks and to the governments and to the regulators and to the Fed or the central banks, the closer you are to them, and usually it means the richer you are, the closer you are to them, then the the more safe you can feel. The, the, the more poor you are, basically, the less power you are and the more risk you have. Uh, so what happened now with Silicon Valley Bank is um, when this started to play out, the rich people, the powerful people, knew. They were the first to know. And so the C-level executives of the banks, all they sold the majority of the shares or did the, like the maximum of shares they could sell, they did sell because they knew it's over. So they took millions uh, out, I think collectively more than 10 million. Um, then Peter Thiel, for example, the billionaire investor and entrepreneur who founded uh, PayPal amongst others, he uh, could withdraw um, money before everything collapsed. Now this is like, like he, he could take all the money that he had on Silicon Valley Bank away because he knew. Bill Ackman and all these billionaires just publicly uh, and probably probably privately before so on Saturday and Sunday on the weekend called for a bailout basically or just called for the government to step in and the government did step in because they are very close to them. Um, and so the Fed basically uh, saved Silicon Valley Bank so that Bill Ackman and his fr rich friends don't lose their, uh, their money, right? This is something that... Um, others like normal people cannot do so it's really a, a decision of do you want to go into a system that is a bit more fair because it's open to everyone and like everything that we discussed cannot be manipulated and the second question is how how far you want to go do you want to go all in or do you want to just take a more diversified approach and like go in with one percent or ten percent or fifty percent as we did as we said before it's really a choice and if you want to go like this, the first steps, I believe, was, was kind of your question or where you wanted to allude to is it's, it's, it's easy today to buy 10 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks already. Uh, for example, with Relay or with others uh, like Coinbase, uh, it's, it's very easy uh, to buy a little bit, to hold it on your, in your wallet. If it gets more money, you can buy a hardware wallet. You hold the majority on there because it's safer. Um, and then you start playing around, you start learning about it. Maybe you want to buy more. Maybe you want to start a savings plan, like 100 bucks every week just goes into Bitcoin. Uh, you get it straight to your uh, wallet. It's also something you can do with uh, services like Relay, for example. Or uh, you say, as you said before, you want to start earning Bitcoin. So there are a lot of jobs out there where you can already earn Bitcoin. Uh, if you're a business owner, you can start accepting Bitcoin. Um, a growing number of Bitcoin community people will start paying you in Bitcoin, and then that's how you can also stack sats. Um, so there's there's a lot of ways um, how you can get into it, and I think the most important thing is just to get educated um, and do the first steps and get get your hands around the first couple of sats, and then you just learn and move on, and you you will start maybe feeling more comfortable with this kind of financial system, maybe not. And then you can stay 50-50 or you can go out of the system. What I, what I think is very interesting is that the churn rate, which you are familiar with as an entrepreneur, the churn rate of Bitcoin is super low. Like it's it's historically low. <laughs> if if it would if Bitcoin would be a startup, like it was it would be one of the most successful, if not this most successful startup, because it has gained a valuation in within a decade from zero to almost a trillion. 
and it has a, a churn rate that is pl probably close to zero. So churn rate means that people that start using the service are dropping out again. And it's almost like it's very low. People who really started using Bitcoin and understood Bitcoin, they usually don't go back. Like, can you imagine you now having understood Bitcoin and in a couple of years, you will just be like, nah, it's not interesting anymore. I focus on something else. No, you will stay. And so this, this is also something that makes me feel very positive about the future of Bitcoin is that it almost can't be stopped. It can't be unsuccessful because it's just this network effect that just keeps going. Uh, orange pilling is kind of people are telling about telling uh, it to the other people they're explaining Bitcoin to other people. They get hyped about it. They, they are interested. They learn about it. They understand that they buy. And then that's how it goes on and on and on. So this network effect is almost unstoppable. Absolutely. So, so I think um, I, I would 100% recommend to everybody who never touched Bitcoin or any crypto and uh, yeah, just or, or maybe is even a skeptic to just buy 50 bucks of it and, and just play around, send it around and just try to learn about the system and, and just um, get a feeling for it and also see the disadvantages like the bad user interface of hardware mm -hmm. wallets and yeah, whatever it may be. And I think that's everybody should should do, in, in my opinion, to just have an opinion. Because many people, in my opinion, have an opinion on Bitcoin, never used it, never owned it. And I mm. don't think they, they uh, are entitled to, to their opinion if they didn't even uh, give it give it a, a go to, to have true. a look at what it really is. So, so I think whether you want to invest larger amounts, it doesn't matter. Just buy 50, 100 bucks of it and play around with it, buy something with it, send it around between different wallets and create a, a software wallet, uh, app-based wallet, whatever. It's super easy. So I think that's certainly for, for education purposes. And uh, yeah, let's let's maybe switch gears to, to stable coins. So now we had this big stable coin crisis, um, almost all big stable coins, uh, major stable coins, depact, um, yeah, more than 10%. Um, what is the role of stable coins? Do we really need them? And do you personally trust any stable coin? Would you hold larger amounts in, in stable coin versus a fiat currency, for example? Yeah, very important the discussion that is now also popping up, I think, uh, with everything that happened, because as a consequence of Silicon Valley banks and Silvergate and all these other signature banks and all these other banks that are now uh, failing, um, also, uh, because Circle was banking with them, um, they also the the, the uh, stable coins like Circle is the issuer of one of the most uh, used stable coins USDC, and it depacked um, I think more than ten percent at one point. So instead of one USDC being worth one dollar, which it usually uh, held on to the last couple of years, uh, one USDC was worth I think eighty nine cents. Um, so this decoupling is also a testament to that, it, again, there's a central authority, uh, there's a central party, which is a security hole and which is a counterparty risk. It's a, it's a risk, again, that you take. You take their word for granted um, that one USDC will always be $1 and they might be in good faith and try to do everything in their hands to, to uh, make sure that this is the case, but they will never be able to give you 100% guarantee. And therefore, it's basically the same thing as trusting any other counterparty, uh, a bank or an exchange. If you trust uh, an issuer of a stablecoin, 
then you might find them, you should analyze them and you might find them more or less trustworthy. USDC, you might find trustworthy. Binance, they also have an uh, USD stablecoin. You might find less trustworthy because they're less regulated because they're, uh, they have a reputation of being a bit reckless uh, and, and shady and it's hard, like in transparency as well a lot. Um, and there's others like Tether, which is quite successful on the market as well, but it also depacked interestingly in the other direction. So it went up, <laughs> uh, which is also not the idea, right? So it, the idea of stablecoin is to be not volatile and it was very volatile. It went up like 10% or more. <laughs> so yeah, in the end, it's a trust game. Whether you trust a bank to hold your savings and not uh, you know, fuck up with them, you trust uh, an exchange to hold actually the assets that you think they hold for you and do they hold them safe um, and uh, an issue of a, a, of a stable coin do they actually manage to really keep it stable uh, they usually do until they don't <laughs> so do we do we need stable coins in your opinion i think stable coins are actually a good thing yes it's a gateway uh, so two things one is for trading where it can be handy for kind of trading short term uh, because it's easier to um, trade from one asset to the other if one asset is not kind of a real world fiat currency but a blockchain based uh, fiat currency you can also trade it via decentralized exchanges 24-7 you can transact with it 24-7 so unlike me now sending a US dollar to Senegal it's something that's probably kind of inconceivable like it's almost impossible me sending a, a USDC uh, to Senegal, this is very easy. Uh, so for that, it, I think it's, it's it makes sense. It's also a stepping stone, I think, to Bitcoin because what still keeps people, especially in emerging countries where they really have a need for it, from using Bitcoin is the volatility. And um, they don't have access to the banking system. So the only thing they have is a little bit of cash uh, that is in their local currency and this is deflating so every week it has less value and over a year it's basically dead you can you can you know you cannot use it anymore maybe to make a fire but not to actually buy stuff and so uh, this gives them access almost like to the banking system and to the us dollar which is a rather stable currency like to compare to their local currency it's super stable and so that's good, I think. If you are, if you don't have access to the banking system, which is billions of people, I think two to four billion, so uh, twenty-five to fifty percent of uh, people in the world don't have access to the traditional financial system, which is a real problem. And you can't really save, you can't really transact, uh, you know, financially. Then you're basically you're not part of the economy, which is very bad. And um, if you are not in this system, but you're still afraid of the volatility of, of Bitcoin, which is understandable because you maybe don't un really understand it yet. Um, and you, maybe you need it short term, which is actually for Bitcoin is now not uh, a good solution for if you want to have short term stability, as we said before, when we compared Bitcoin um, to fiat currencies, then this might be a very good middle way for you um, to use something like USDC. It's not 100% safe. Um, but it's still it's it's more stable than Bitcoin and it's safer than the fiat and more accessible than the fiat um, banking system. So therefore, I think it's a good thing. Um, I think ultimately, really to hold your value on the long term, 
it's going to be Bitcoin. Um, to maybe transact short term, it might be stable coins. And then in the end, I think the master plan should be, or the, the best solution would be uh, to have stable coins on the Bitcoin network. Because with something like the USDC, you don't only have a counterparty risk, you also have a blockchain risk. Because as of my knowledge, it runs on Ethereum and maybe some other chains, which every day can collapse as well, which are also um, kind of centrally uh, controlled. And so there you have these two risks, which you don't have with Bitcoin. With Bitcoin, you don't have a set a counterparty risk. You don't have blockchain risk because it's the most secure with the highest track record, with the biggest um, network effect. It's the most global, most decentralized, with most hash rate. So it's the most secure blockchain you can think of by far, like by orders of magnitude. Um, and so having a stable coin on Bitcoin, I think would be, in my opinion, then the ideal world, because then you can have, imagine you have a wallet, you can download it, everyone can access it if you have a smartphone and access to internet. And then you have like a savings account and a checking account. The savings account would be Bitcoin because it goes up long term, but it's short term volatile. And the checking account is in US, is in US dollar or any other fiat currency based on the Bitcoin blockchain. So there's no counterpart risk and there's no no one can block it. You don't have the whole risk with the banking system, but you have the stabi stability. So it's short term stable, long term it's still gonna def uh, it's still gonna be deflationary. But at least short term you can buy your food and your coffee with it and everything. In my opinion, I see the world where there's the base chain Bitcoin and all the other uh, altcoins will go away in the next 10, 15 years, 20 years, and will be basically irrelevant. Uh, and then you have the second layer, which is Lightning, which basically scales Bitcoin, uh, which makes transactions way faster and way cheaper. Uh, so orders of magnitude better and more efficient than anything that we know uh, in terms of other cryptocurrencies and also in terms of uh, other payment networks like PayPal, Swift, like the whole banking system. And on top of this, then you have stable coins. So um, that's how that's kind of I think how fintech um, and financial services will evolve in the next five to ten years. So what uh, chain is Dai based on? Is it based on Ethereum? Is does it run on Ethereum? Good question. I don't know. I would I would assume so. Yes. So how how could a stablecoin based on Bitcoin be created how, how would that work so yes die is uh, based on ethereum blockchain just google it um so there is already um for example uh, there's a project called taro mm -hmm. which uh, also some swiss people um oliver goker someone you should maybe talk to if you want he's uh, he's one of the best lightning bitcoin and lightning developers in the world and he's a uh, he's swiss he's from bern um, he works for Lightning Labs, and Lightning Labs, one of the biggest players in Bitcoin and Lightning, um, and they developed uh, at least the concept. I don't know if it's like I think it's in beta, um, where you have exactly this: you have a stablecoin on top of Lightning, which is secured by Bitcoin. Or there are other projects, like for example, um, uh, Block. How are they called? Block something. Sorry, I Blockstack. Blockstack is also um, a kind of second layer technology 
that makes smart contracts and initial coin offerings, for example, and tokenization and stable coins uh, and DeFi and NFTs and basically everything you know from uh, from crypto land, they make this possible on Bitcoin. So if something really works from all these use cases, and a lot of them don't, like a lot of these utility coins, ICOs, they never worked. NFTs like Instagram just uh, went back from their NFT announcement. They will not then will not launch NFTs now. So it's all up and down. But those things that work, DeFi, NFT, stablecoin, tokenization, smart contracts, and all that kind of stuff that is promising, it will also work on the Bitcoin blockchain. So why on earth would you use another? blockchain doesn't matter whether it's ethereum or tesos or um or or you know ripple or uh, cardano or what the f- like there's so many uh, strange chains out there why on earth would you use uh, something like that that is more centralized it can be controlled by a foundation a company a, a team that you need to trust um it's way less stable like solana is going down every week um it's you know manipulatable controllable also from the outside like solana basically is controlled by and owned by vcs 30 or 40 percent of the coins are owned by vcs um way less secure because they have other consensus mechanisms they don't have proof of work and they certainly if they have proof of work they certainly don't have the hash rate um that is required to really be safe bitcoin has all that why on earth would you use for your whatever project it is another chain than bitcoin it's almost like um putting a website on an alternative internet protocol that no one uses and that is inferior to the internet why on earth would you do that no it's i think that's 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 why in my opinion it's it's i i disagree with you that that um um yeah, I think people should understand, not in detail, but should understand the the concept of what Bitcoin is built on. Because, for example, I mean, I knew it somehow that DAI was based on Ethereum, but it wasn't like top of mind. Mm-hmm. And if I really Thank think you. about it, like um, philosophically, um, if we get to a global currency or something like a global um, asset um, uh, system like like Bitcoin, um, what do we want to base the world economy on? Do we want to base it on the Binance Smart Chain? Do we want to base it on yeah. whatever else chain? Or yeah. do we want to base it on Bitcoin? Yeah. And for me, the answer is is clear. We want to base it on Bitcoin. So okay. then the question is, um, are stable coins, for example, like USDC and DAI, are they doomed? Because, yeah, they, they are building on an alternative chain. And yeah, why doesn't a Bitcoin-based stablecoin exist yet? Because one of the criticisms um, towards Bitcoin is that it moves really slowly, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have smart contracts yet, blah, blah, blah. We don't have stablecoins yet. So why, if somebody's excited about crypto, excited about blockchain, excited about stablecoins and and, uh, DeFi and smart contracts and stuff, um, they look at Solana, they look at Ethereum, uh, thriving ecosystems, thousands of developers, thousands of projects, mm-hmm. billions of, of VC money, whatever. And then they compare it with Bitcoin and it feels like a grandpa, like an like mm-hmm. like old person, right? Really slow, really chubby. So, so why will that happen on Bitcoin, in your opinion? Um, 
And why does it move so slowly? Why, why don't we have a stable coin or a smart contract solution yet? Yeah. So why it will uh, all eventually merge onto Bitcoin is clear. It's basically what I said before is because it's the most stable, the most secure with the most hash rate, the one that has the biggest network effect that, uh, and that mainly the security and the decentralization, because these are things that you cannot really build. You cannot be better at this than Bitcoin because Bitcoin has just moved so fast. You can be a bit more efficient on the, on the, uh, main chain, but you then will do this at the expense of decentralization. So you can be faster, but then you're more centralized. And then again, you're not uh, very secure anymore. You have counterparty risk again, and that's all everything. So Bitcoin is a bit slower, um, but it is necessary to be that secure and that trusted. Like you actually, you can trust Bitcoin so much because you don't have to trust it because it's really decentralized. And there you make you need to make a, a couple of uh, compromises. Um, so I think this is why, because it's really the most trusted, the most secure um, chain, that's why eventually everything will gravitate, all the activity will gravitate towards this chain. I believe that it's a winner takes it all, or at least a few takes it all game. Um, because we have one internet now. We had competing protocols in the 80s, I believe, but now we have one internet because it just makes sense to have one base protocol. Then you can have different use cases, different companies, like whole ecosystems and economies built around it or on top of it. But the base chain, it's a protocol. In the end, it's an open source software protocol. And there, there's always one or very few that is that are used because of the network effects. Um, and my question was more like not the, the speed of the network, but like the speed of innovation and the yeah. speed of projects and the number of developers. It, it still feels slow. Yeah. Um, yeah. How can we build something like a thriving ecosystem on it? Like let's let's think big, the world economy, let's base it on Bitcoin, let's build stable coins, NFTs, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, the decentralized finance, loans, vaults, um, everything we have on other chains. We want to build it on Bitcoin. Um, yeah, how can that happen if, it, if the development moves so slowly and how could we accelerate it or is it even needed that we accelerate it? So I, I have this conflict in my head because I see all these other projects, they move so, so fast like a startup. They try new things, mm. innovate really fast, new concepts, new... Um, decentralized finance um, possibilities and Bitcoin really feels like the same it was four years ago. I mean, maybe there were some changes, I don't know, um, like Taproot and, and stuff like that. But um, really on the surface, it looks really the same as four years mm -hmm. ago. So so how, why are you certain that this will, that this will change? I mean, I'm not certain, uh, but I hope so. Um, I think the reason why this is not the case now, so one one is it's also a feature not it's not only a bug it's also a feature so it's good sometimes especially if you work on the on chain um, that is the base layer of a future financial system so it's very important that you get things right here so it's fine to take more time uh, so that's why unlike solana that has like weekly updates bitcoin has bi-annual updates so there's an update every like a new release, uh, if you will, every half a year, every six months. Um, that's not a lot. That's not a lot of speed. And mostly there are not many changes in these updates. So this is why on-chain, you, you should be very diligent, cautious, and very democratic. Uh, like, um, you should do changes in a democ 
democratized way. Um, so this is fine to be a bit slow. Then I agree with you that I, I also have this this problem with us us as a Bitcoin community being a bit slow on the other layers. So Lightning and stablecoins and all these kind of applications, they should develop a bit faster, uh, in my opinion. So I, I totally agree there with you. I think in the end, it the, the, the final tech stack of this financial base layer will have sev several layers. So five to seven layers uh, is, is what I've been told by smart engineers, which I'm not one of them, but um, they say it's going to be like the internet. The internet also have, has seven layers. One basic protocol that is very stupid, very dumb, very uh, solid though, and very simple. And then the others are, um, the other layers are way more flexible, but also a bit more risk and more scalable and efficient, and they can do way more things, right? Um, so I think the, the end will be that. And now it's your question is how can we get there a bit faster? And why are others like the Ethereum community, why are they so fast? Um, I think it's just funding. They have orders of magnitudes more funding, which Bitcoin doesn't have. You can Bitcoin is basically a community project from the beginning. There's no company, there have been no VCs, there's no big you know money giver, uh, no sugar daddy behind. Is there has been no ICOs, and, and, and so on Ethereum you have these massive ICOs um, because they were a bit faster at the beginning, because they also had venture funding from the beginning. So there were already venture funds that poured in money into these ecosystems, and they raised more money and poured in more money. For example, A16Z, so Andreas and Horowitz, they have raised two crypto. Uh, focused funds and they're both one is i think one billion and the other is four billion so one of the biggest venture capital companies in the world has raised five billion and poured it mainly into the ethereum ecosystem also some other chains and there are many vcs like this so there must be something along the like dozens of billions have been invested into uh, these other chains mainly ethereum in the last five seven years that's why they move so fucking fast. Uh, and then on top of that, you have ICOs where not VCs, but retail investors invested also billions in total. So you have Tesos, for example, they raised, I think, 250 million or something along these lines in 2017. And then the bull run came and basically 10x or maybe more, probably 10x this because they held mostly the Bitcoin and the Ethereum that they collected and then it 10x. So they all of a sudden were uh, worth two to three billion. And I believe I, I heard a, a, a presentation from them. I believe they still now, without really making any improvements to my knowledge, they still hold around one and a half or two billion. So they can keep on, they, they can keep on forever. This is more funding than, than than even huge fintech startups like Revolut have. And so that's why they can employ hundreds of people. They can uh, run, um, they can give out loans to, to developer teams that are building stuff. Whether it makes sense or not doesn't even matter, but they just build startups and use cases and technology on their uh, chains. But it's all flawed from the beginning, in my opinion. It's it the, the chain them the chains themselves don't make sense. 
but they have so much money from VCs and private investors that they can keep on building at a very fast rate on top of it. Like Solana, for example, it's just, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for years, but still going strong. They have a strong community because they have billions of investor money. And Bitcoin didn't have that um, and still doesn't have it. But uh, there's a, an interesting development now going on. The last couple of years, a lot of Bitcoin-only funds have been raised and are now deploying money in the same way, never never the same uh, magnitudes. So there we talk millions and not billions, but at least this is coming. And this is going to accelerate uh, the development of second layer solutions on Bitcoin a lot in the next couple of years. We at Relay just raised a four and a half million round. It has been announced last week with some of the great Bitcoin only funds out there like Ecodev Capital and Time Chain Ventures and others. So this is, I think, making a big difference now where we see more accelerated uh, growth and development uh, on the Bitcoin uh, blockchain as well in the next couple of years i hope at least so do you think um could could you build a second layer or a bitcoin type application based on the bitcoin network like in a sustainable way so that you could fund it and then it could generate um some uh, i don't know commissions or fees and 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 then pay back this this investment or or generate profits for for the team do you think this is this is possible and if this would be possible then probably more money would would uh, would, would flow into it or why don't you think that more money is is, is flowing into these uh, solutions uh, on bitcoin mainly from vcs so vcs fund companies that build um technology uh, and the business model around it where the business itself can be worth millions, hundreds of millions or billions at one point. So the classic VC model is more prevalent at this point. For example, Blockstream is, from my knowledge, the biggest Bitcoin-only company, and they raised hundreds of millions, I think, at this point. Um, and Lightning Labs as well that we talked about before, they raised from, from great investors, not only Bitcoin-only funds also, but also others. Uh, they raised also like tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions. And they make... a they, they are profit-oriented companies that just only build um, on Bitcoin, on Lightning. And for example, these are the guys that build this, that are building the stablecoin on Bitcoin, the Taro. They will make money in with transaction fees maybe, or I don't know how, but they will make money. And so that's how they basically pay back. They will get a, a good valuation and then uh, VCs will sell their shares and the kind of the normal thing. Um, and there can also be, I think, through, for example, uh, Blockstack and others, there can be already now uh, token generating events, so ICOs, utility tokens, on Bitcoin. There can be NFT marketplace on Bitcoin. You can basically already do a lot with the second layer solution that we have now on hand, like Lightning, Liquid, RGB, and others. It's just not, it's not really used that much it's not the the frenzy the hype never never came in in on, on these bitcoin things they were they i mean altcoins were just way faster and way more aggressive on that so if you think about icos you think about ethereum if you think about nfts you think about ethereum and all these others because they were just faster on these hypes and but these hypes were up and down so do you hear of any interesting ico lately do you hear of any interesting NFT marketplace lately 
OpenSea, the biggest NFT marketplace that has lost 90% of their volume in the last year. So these are all boom and bust cycles. Um, maybe some interesting things will evolve and then eventually I think it's, it's going to be built on Bitcoin. Um, but that's kind of uh, unique to the Bitcoin community as well that hypes are not valued that much. It's really more a long-term sustainable um, development effort that is being done by open, mainly also open source uh, commitments from individuals, developers that are not hugely funded yet. But I think, as, as I said before, the more funding will come in, mainly through VC, but may, maybe also some from retail investors that are funding projects or companies like us, for example. Once we become profitable, of course, we will uh, donate some uh, money to you know, Bitcoin Core developers, Lightning developers that are building these very important open source technologies to make the Bitcoin network more valuable. And so I think this this will be part of the ecosystem. It's just developing way a, a bit slower and more sustainably than on other, other chains. And how do you think about other chains that are piggybacking on Bitcoin by just anchoring their chain to Bitcoin and thereby still profit from Bitcoin's security and immutability, but still have their own chain? Do you see any any value in that? Could could be, potentially. I don't know. Then it's it comes down to, again, how decentralized and open source uh, this chain is. Because if, you know, for example, on Ethereum, you have things like wrapped Bitcoin, um, then you still need to trust your Bitcoin fully to Ethereum because if this smart contract on Ethereum that holds the Bitcoin on your behalf, kind of, I think that's how it works roughly, like wrapped Bitcoin is basically Bitcoin on Ethereum, um, then you need to trust Ethereum. Uh, if Ethereum goes past or if there's something wrong with the smart contracts, your money, your Bitcoin will be lost as well. And same with side chains that use Bitcoin as a settlement layer or security layer you still then have this, this counterparty risk to this um, to this blockchain, in my opinion. But there I might also not be the expert because I'm not a tech guy at all. And I also don't spend too much time on these other chains. There, there might be a lot of innovation that can work onto Bitcoin, but I'm just very, very uh, um, sure about is that Bitcoin will be the base layer that everything else is being built upon. And then the rest is really up to the free market who builds what use cases, which use cases are catching on sustainably. What so, is being so, funded. so you personally don't hold any other cryptos other than Bitcoin? Are you Bitcoin only? Pretty much, yeah. So, yeah, pretty much. I, I still have some relics from the old days. Obviously, I had my uh, fun with altcoins in 2017 and I, I, I only learned. I'm not a fast learner. I only learned one, two years later after this whole uh, craze in 2017, um, all of that. Uh, but since then, I, I pushed away, sold most of uh, my altcoin holdings, and mainly I'm into Bitcoin. Like Easily plus 90% of my like crypto exposure is Bitcoin, probably 95%. There's a, a couple of maybe like dust around, but nothing that I'm really I really believe in at this time. So uh, yeah, Relay is is Bitcoin 
only so so why did you choose to go bitcoin only because i assume because of these reasons why because you you um yeah believe so much in it do you feel a lot of um pressure from investors or customers to add other coins to your uh, to your service yeah some investors uh, definitely uh, ask for this or kind of try to push ourselves into in, in push us into this direction um, and also some users actually we we have done a survey with our active um, user base the people that actually use uh, the relay app and then Within a couple of days, we had, uh, I think, two and a half thousand uh, responses. And actually, when we asked the question, uh, would you like, would you trade other things than Bitcoin? Would you buy something else than Bitcoin? For example, ETH, uh, 40, 45% I think said yes. So almost half of the people would, would also use us for ETH. That also made me think. And yes, the pressure from some investors uh, is there. Um, most of the investors that we have now in the cap table are really fine with this. So they're either Bitcoin-only funds or funds that kind of share our view of the world that it's going to be Bitcoin-only mainly in the next, next 10 to 20 years. Um, but there are a lot of uh, funds that I talked to while we are fundraising, uh, crypto VCs and fintech VCs that are really into other chains as well and see the world uh, becoming a multi-chain you know, future. Um, and with them, it's harder uh, to argue, obviously, and they usually try to push you. Uh, we, we even had some offers where they said, yes, we're going to lead the round, which means one or two million, maybe more in the future, but we want you to add Ethereum. <laughs> and so these were the, the hard conversations. Um, and, and I mean, it makes sense from a business, from pure top-line business perspective that they have, they haven't spent the, all these years in like the question why Bitcoin and not crypto. They haven't studied these ten, tens of thousands of hours that, that, that our team did. Um, and so they just think, hey, they are very good at selling this one coin. There are 20,000 other coins. Why the hell don't you sell all these other coins? You're, making, you're going to make so much more money. And they're kind, of, they're kind of right from a business perspective. But they also then leave out the... like they, There's a lot of cost and effort as well to add all these other coins. Um, they usually tend to forget that. They think it's just one click to add a new coin and to maintain it. I mean, it usually takes like a team or at least one or two developers to do that and maintain it. And then um, they don't really have to share their vision, the sustainable vision, uh, long-term vision with us. If, if why, why would we add coins that are now in the top 10 uh, just to get some trading volume from them and then in a year or two from now, they collapse or they like irrelevant and then they just cost us money and don't give us any um, revenue anymore. So the, it's a constant battle of getting the newest coins on. And in the end, you also lose trust of the people because you just basically, the people will understand sooner or later that Coinbase and mainly also Bitpanda and mainly also Binance and all these shitcoin casinos, how we call them in, in French, <laughs> um, they they just um, they just launch uh, or list any anything like any shit that you can trade they will list and they will dump it uh, at you as the retail investor and you will lose your money uh, most of people lose their money most of the people that invested in Shiba Inu or Dogecoin 
um, or Solana or any other of these very manipulated or like strange, uh, irrelevant, now irrelevant coins, they made, they lost, they've lost money. And so we don't want to be that. We don't want to be a speculation platform. We want to be a savings platform. We want to give uh, the, the, the billions of people that will want to have access to a safe, uh, stable store of value, ac very easy access uh, to it, very frictionless access to this. We don't really care about um, trading because there are other uh, exchanges that are way better. Like these so-called shitcoin casinos are way better if you want to take the risk and you know speculate with the latest coin. That's not our business. Our business is uh, to educate people about Bitcoin and to get them onboarded to Bitcoin very, very easily and to help them set up a savings plan and to help them store their Bitcoin safely uh, so that in troubled times they, they, are, they are fine and can sleep well. And this is just another, it's another business and some VCs understand, many VCs don't. Yeah, so so Yasir, we, we had some questions regarding your service. Maybe now is a good time. So Yasir asked uh, asked one question: uh, Are these uh, BTC wallets stored or hosted in Relay platform? Please clarify this point. Yeah, so the question is: How do you uh, how do you, from a philosophical perspective, also how do you onboard people? Um, I haven't used for full transparency. I haven't used your your service just yet. So um, I think from what I understood is that uh, for first-time users, you create a um, hosted uh, or you create a wallet in the in the app. So so I assume that um, you require people to write down their twelve or 24, uh, 24 words. And how do you think about then transitioning from this system um, to a more secure and and completely uh, self? Uh, custody solution. So, so how do you onboard? What's the easiest solution? And maybe also describe what your current service looks like. Yeah. So usually it's a, you download the Bitcoin app and when you start it, when you launch it, um, it takes a couple of seconds and it installs uh, a Bitcoin wallet on your phone. So it's really your self-hosted Bitcoin wallet. We never have access to this wallet. You have access to the private key. Uh, the, being the 12 seed words. So you, as you said, Remo, you write them down and you store them somewhere safe. So if we go bankrupt, if we get hacked, if you lose your phone, if whatever happens, you still have your 12 words. You can uh, download the Relay app again on another device or any other Bitcoin app and you can initialize, you can restore uh, your funds again on there. So it's absolutely uh, self-hosted. It's not a uh, hosted wallet. It's not a custodial service it's not custodial uh, from the beginning then you are able to buy and buy and set up a savings plan it, it will always go directly to this wallet at one point when you uh, have more than i think it's 500 bucks there's a push notification asking you hey have you you know uh, have you? so first of all you can do one trade very easily within one minute and then this the time you do the second trade uh, you get basically uh, pushed to write down your seed words. So you really, uh, no one loses uh, them. That's also very important for us. Um, and then once you have, I think it's more than 500 bucks worth of Bitcoin, you will get also notified, hey, it would be a good idea to buy a Bitcoin uh, hardware wallet. Here's our suggestion and here's our discount. So you get, I think, 5% discount on a Bitbox, which is a Swiss-made uh, product, a hardware wallet, open source as well, uh, one of the most secure 
uh, hardware wallets, I believe, out there, and also a Bitcoin-only one. Um, so you can buy this in the app very easily. The next day, you get it to your post box. And then um, we have, you know, blog and everything, materials to uh, explain you how to kind of set it up and how to send um, your Bitcoin to this, this wallet. And then last but not least, the user can also, once he has a hardware wallet, he can also set up a savings plan directly to this external wallet that is also possible. Right now, um, it's maybe not as user-friendly yet, this part of the app. Uh, it will become way more user-friendly in the next couple of months. But that's basically the journey from I have no idea about Bitcoin, I might heard of it, and I want to start with 10 or 20 bucks. You can download the app within a couple of minutes. You can buy, you can get your Bitcoin, you can store them safely with your twelve words, and you can start st stacking sets, as we call it. So set up a savings plan and accumulate more Bitcoin and then send them on the hardware wallet or save them, uh, store them a bit uh, more safe. And last but not least, you can just set up the savings plan as well directly to the wallet. That's usually how the journey goes. So are you able to buy, when you download the app, are you able to buy instantly with like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, uh, or is does it require a bank account transfer? No, you can do both. So either bank transfer, this usually takes one day to clear. So then you only get your Bitcoin a day later. You can also directly buy, let's say, 100 bucks with a credit card or Apple Pay or Google Pay, and then it will clear pretty much instantly. You get exactly the price that you have right now. And within a couple of hours, you have the final transaction on your, your wallet. It's the fastest way you can do it. You can even do it on the weekend, like it's 24-7 instant purchase directly into your non-custodial wallet already from 10 bucks. That's the and when you send the money through the bank account, then you exchange it whenever the money hits your account, I would assume. Exactly. So okay. it can be the same day, uh, depending on what bank you use. If you, if you put in a transfer in the morning, like let's say eight o'clock, then usually it clears the same day. If it's in the evening, then maybe next day. Or you can do some banks allow express uh, yep. transactions for a couple of bucks fees exactly. and then it's instant, right? Okay. okay. So uh, Fabio here asks something a little bit more uh, detailed. I think it's a feature request. When reflink without a code, but just the link, others can click and sign up, please. Love the app. Greetings from the Netherlands. <laughs> Thanks, Fabio. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So we do have a way to get a link, um, but that requires you to get in touch with our team. We will give you actually a individual code. So Remo, if you now start using the app, you will get a ref code, uh, which is uh, rel12345 or something. And then you can share this code with your friends and whoever starts using the Relay app and buys Bitcoin with it, you get some uh, commission back half a percent of everything they invest. So that's the ref link um, Fabio is referring to. And then Fabio, you can get in touch with the team and ask for an individual code. So we can change it to, for example, Fabio or for you, Remo or Uhere or whatever. And then you can share this. And also what we can do is a web uh, site um, that is then a link with the code on it and you can uh, send it. So that's not ideal yet. I know what you what you want, Fabio, is just a link that you can share with people. With this link, they can download the app and the code is already uh, basically placed in the app and you already start then earning your um, ref payments. That's unfortunately technically not or not yet possible. We're working on it. 
Um, and but right now, what needs to happen is you need to send the code, which you can do from within the app via WhatsApp, via Telegram, email, whatever, however you want to send it. You can share the code, but you need to share the code. And the, um, the person who starts using the app needs to put in the code either at the beginning of the onboarding process or um, when he or she buys, so closes the or finalizes the purchasing process. Uh, the, pe- the person needs to put in the code and then it's done. Just one time, put in the code one time and then uh, this person gets half a percent less uh, transaction fees and you uh, as kind of the ambassador or the referrer, you get half a percent back on whatever this person spends on Bitcoin. Yeah, and then Fabio also said uh, Relay is my go-to for BTC DCA. So he seems to be a happy user. <laughs> Thank you. Then um, Bitcoin Jingles asks, uh, yeah, what's your recommendation for DCA in the US? Maybe also in what countries are you already active? And if not in the US, what would you recommend? Are there similar services in the US? Yeah, definitely. There are actually similar service on all continents, which is very interesting. We are basically the leading one in Europe, um, but we're only available in Europe. So in 40 countries in Europe, um, our mo- uh, our biggest markets are Germany, Switzerland and Austria. Then also Italy is big and France and Spain. And like and then there's a long tail of all the other European countries. Um, for the US, it's definitely Swan. So they're called Swan Bitcoin. Very similar uh, service. Uh, you can very easily onboard and start buying Bitcoin and do DCA, so savings plan. The only difference is, and that's probably due to regulatory uh, things, it's 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 full KYC and it's custodial. Um, but other than that, there are great uh, people uh, running the show there, uh, Corey Klipstein, for example, and this team, great Bitcoiners that are doing an amazing job. So what um, are customers required to do KYC with you or do you have a certain limit that KYC is not required? How does that work? Yeah, so because of Swiss laws up to 1K per day and 100K per year, you don't actually need to do KYC at all. That's pretty cool, yeah. Um, So you can basically really just download the app and you don't even have to give us your name or your email address or whatever, upload any documents, nothing. You can just start... Uh, with small amounts and then if you want to go higher than 1k per day you can do a quick uh, kyc process takes you five minutes and then you're good to go like unlimited basically um and uh, what's your policy regarding data collection what kinds of data do you collect and uh, yeah what's what's what how, how do you think about data data collection we do kind of collect the data that we just get from the bank wire or the credit card payment. Uh, so there's usually the name, uh, the address, the bank account, and the, the country, stuff like that, just the basic information. Um, and obviously, if someone does KYC, then it's the uh, proof of address, it's the ID, and all the documents that we need to collect. Um, we, ho- we, need, we are required to hold this for 10 years by the, reg- by the Swiss regulator. Um, but obviously, we are not giving them away. Um, if someone asks us for the data, we don't give anyone the data. With one exception is if uh, some regulatory body or the police has um, a suspicion of some 
person that he or she is doing tax evasion or uh, money laundering or criminal activities, then uh, at one point we might, if the court really, you know, orders us to give away the data, then we do. But we never, like this, we never experienced this in the last three years that we are alive. Yeah, and then, then there is this um, little bit ironic view of uh, startups in the Bitcoin or crypto ecosystem that for in a lot of cases, it would have actually been more profitable to invest the money um, that maybe investors invested in, in companies to invest that directly into Bitcoin. And it would have been much more profitable than investing in the company itself. So, so how did you pitch your venture investors? Um, yeah, what, what's your pitch and what's your plan for your company? Because you only take like maybe on average 1%, 1.5% in, in fees. Um, so you need to have a really huge volume, right, to, to make meaningful revenue. Um, do you have other revenue streams um, as, as an idea um, for the future? Or do you just plan to get the volume as high as possible and then to, uh, to, to base your company on, on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, bas we, we did get uh, this a lot from investors that uh, they said, look, interesting company, I would love to support you, but uh, whether I put 100k or whatever amount here in your company, and if I, you know, as opposed to putting it in Bitcoin, I believe in the next 10 years, I will make a better return. Um, I, I understand this at one point, uh, or like from, from one hand, on the other hand, um, you know, Bitcoin has done a big deal of growth already in the last 10 years coming from 10 cents to uh, 20k um, yes it will go maybe to 100k maybe to even 500k maybe in 1 million we don't really know but we could also like we are because we are still starting we're not 10 years old we're only starting we're an early stage company you basically at this point you made a seed investment um, so from this uh, 20 million um, valuation that we now have after this round, we could go up uh, ideally if everything goes well to a one billion valuation, which be a which would be a huge um, multiple uh, that you may or may not get with Bitcoin. Um, but might as well, uh, as you said at the beginning, don't put everything into one basket. And sometimes um, over a period, a certain period of a couple of years, maybe it can be better to invest in the shovel than into gold itself right so when the gold um uh, gold rush happened in the 20s yes you could buy gold and at the until now in these 100 years you would have done a massive return but also you could have uh, invested in in shovel companies or jeans companies at this time like whatever company mining companies obviously gold mining companies that uh, did very well in like a short time frame maybe five years and then you'd maybe have done a better deal. So that's kind of the argument on why it might be interesting also to invest in, Bit in Bitcoin companies. And another as well is that um, as an angel investor, for example, you might sit on 1000 Bitcoin because you have been very early and you obviously want this or maybe 100 Bitcoin uh, more realistically. And then you want obviously the value of this Bitcoin go up um, so might be a good idea to take 10 Bitcoin out of these 100 and invest it into the ecosystem that brings more people in, that make the network more valuable. So in the end, you'll profit 
both if you pick the right startup then you profit because their value goes up and they help to bring more value into bitcoin which then the bitcoin price is also going up that these would be maybe two arguments so how much did you raise in total so far in total is about seven million in a pre-seed round and a seed round and then a seed extension round Got it, got it. And and why did you choose the venture capital route instead of just bootstrapping your company and have complete freedom? <laughs> yeah, good question. I think with, with this company, this sort of company, it's very important to be super fast. Um, and it's quite expensive to build what we have built now. Um, the technology, the licensing, the team that is needed around to further improve it and um, and market it and everything, the whole community building. It's it's a lot of work, I can tell you, and it's a lot of it's super fun, but it's a lot of costs that occur. And so um, I I don't think I wouldn't have had the money to to pull this all off. And if we had just started bootstrapping, I don't think we would be as close as where we are at now. Um, and probably we would be dead uh, by now because you can be sure if you have a good idea, especially in like a fintech B2C case in an early growing market like Bitcoin, you can be sure if you have a good idea that someone else will do a similar thing um, and this person will raise a lot of money and then he or she will be faster and basically kill you. Uh, so you need to be competitive, you need to be fast. Um, it's not like opening a restaurant um, where you have rather low fixed cost and like you can you, you can enter pretty quickly with a couple of K. Um, this you, know, you need to build it big and you will lose a lot of money in the first five years. But then if it's really big, as you said, we need massive uh, volumes. We have had more than 100 million in volumes, training volumes since we started two and a half years ago, which is kind of impressive number, but it's still nothing. Uh, that you know, uh, this this is what Coinbase basically does, probably in an hour or maybe half half a day or whatever. Yeah, but still, so, it's 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 one hundred million. I mean, that's that's not that's not nothing. But if you then take one percent or one and a half percent, then you had like lifetime revenues of a million or million and a half max, right? So yeah. it's uh, still for a huge team with with uh, with a huge uh, capital raise. It's it's. Exactly. Uh, it's really not not that much revenue, exactly. right? Still, so, no. still burning money, that's yeah. for sure. Um, and so we need to still grow, I would say, three x from now to be um, um, to make it to break even to make it profitable, and then grow a bit more still and like on continuously to basically, in theory, be able to pay back the the investment but that's how it goes with the startup you know this better than me at the at the beginning you need to invest and burn money and then build something that can really grow uh, 10x to to 10x of the revenue that you have actually uh, used to build the company and uh, i believe that we can still um like we are now making this year would probably make 50 60 70 million on probably uh, probably more 70 80 million something like that um this year and i believe we can 5 to 10x that in the next couple of years and then we would be profitable That's... in volume you mean yeah yeah volume and uh yeah the fee 
structure or, or let's let's talk about the use case so so what's your what's the usp of your service and why should people use it instead of using kraken or coinbase or or whatever other uh, service so what's special about relay is it cheaper in fees is it uh, yeah what's 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 the usp mm -hmm. what, what what how do you acquire users mm -hmm. so it's the only place basically where users can for like really quickly within one minute of uh, downloading an app and onboarding and 24 7 buy bitcoin instantly to their own non-custodial wallet this is something that doesn't exist anywhere else uh, in the world and this is also something that really clicks with people like oh i don't need to go through an extensive registration verification onboarding process i don't have to wire money wait until it's there exchange it and then hold it there with a counterparty risk and you know uh, 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 create a wallet and withdraw it to there and so i don't have this whole complicated process i really can from 10 bucks already within one minute and a couple of clicks be onboarded onto bitcoin set up a savings plan that comes right into my own custody um, and I can do that 24-7 with my payment method of choice. I can even do it, uh, you know, uh, Saturday evening or whatever when banking assist, when the banking system is closed. Um, and then I think we just, you know, did a good job in having a good branding, a great community that's very helpful and, uh, and very encouraging. Um, and a great team uh, that is just, you know, it's not rocket science that we are doing, but we find found a good niche and we were first on this and we were fast on this and we're still fast. This is really like our priorities are simplicity, speed, community focus. Um, and so I think that these are kind of success factors or USPs to others that um, that uh, were, were crucial to the still modest success. I mean, we were still really at the beginning. Um, and, uh, and I think what got us here in terms of principles and values and USPs will also get us uh, much further. Uh, but obviously, we're also improving on the product, improving on the, uh, the vision and everything. And maybe Relay will be also a bit of a different company with maybe other um, revenue sources as well in the next couple of years. You know how it goes. Sometimes you pivot, you know, it's a... It's it's a constant struggle, but it's really fun, and I believe we have to we have the ingredients like very good team, great ambitions, great vision, a deep link to the Bitcoin community, and everything that we need to uh, to make this thing way more successful than it is now. Yeah, I think it's great that companies like like your company exists, and that entrepreneurs really like also it's 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 almost like a missionary role as well, right? So you chose to not take on all these altcoins just to increase your volume but you really want to take like the 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 thing that really from your perspective and mine as well really has the substance and and the longevity and you try to onboard people on it with a good solution i think that's that's really a, a great service to the to the ecosystem i'm not sure that i would want to do that because it seems really hard with with such a low fee structure and and uh, revenue structure as we talked about you would need tons of t and tons of volume 100 million is already a lot but it's nothing for for mm. a company like like yours to really be successful you would probably need i don't know a billion in in, in volume per year mm. or something <laughs> to to really make it really um work as a company so it's really a hard problem but i think it's fantastic that entrepreneurs like you exist so uh thank you for your service uh, it also hopefully also helps helps my own investment in in bitcoin <laughs> 
So I think that's a good uh, point to to uh, wrap up. I think we could uh, still talk for many hours. Um, hopefully we will do a round two at one point, maybe two more comments from the community. Hannes also uh, said about his own experiences, I tried to orange pill my friend, but he keeps saying we are too late. Mm -hmm. I bet he will jump in at the all-time high. Damn, <laughs> I wish he would understand. So I think these are the struggles that we all have. People think uh, we are too late and uh, yeah, things like that and all the emotions. And then um, Chris also said, yeah, thank you, Julian and Remo. Um, I'm still a BTC trainee and your views reinforce my own faith and conviction. Uh, definitely signing up with Relay ASAP for future DCA. And yes, for me um, is freedom money. So yeah, thank you all for watching. It has been a fantastic live stream. A lot of comments, a lot of questions from you. That's how I like it best. And uh, yeah, thank you, Julian, for coming on. Um, yeah, where can people find you? Where are you most active? I assume on, on Twitter and uh, where else can, can people uh, find information about you? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's, it's really nice, uh, an uncommon format, but a very, very nice format where you can really do some deep dives and some um, uh, philosophical, uh, uh, you know, um, ways that you can take and uh, discussions you can have. So thank you a lot for, for your time and your invitation. Yes, you're right. I'm on uh, social media, mainly on Twitter, uh, at Julian underscore Liniger, I think. And um, just on LinkedIn, Julian Liniger, uh, feel free to text me. Uh, ideally, please, no sales pitches. Uh, I get a lot of them recently and I decline all of them. But uh, otherwise, please uh, feel free to let me know. Give me feedback about uh, Relay, how, how you like it. Um, if you have problems, please get in touch. That's how we can learn and improve. Um, and yeah, we have a website, obviously, relay.app, where you can also find links to our community. We are active on with Telegram chats. We have, obviously, um, as well, a Twitter account and uh, LinkedIn and everywhere you can follow us. We have a newsletter. Um, so yeah, uh, get in touch. Uh, thank you very much, Remo, for taking the time and talk to you soon. Absolutely. I will, of course, also link um, everything down in the description box so you can have a look at uh, Julian's uh, Twitter and, and the other links as well. So all of you, thank you. If you want to see more interviews and live streams like that, please subscribe to this channel. Um, activate the notifications to not miss any future live streams. And also let us know if you're watching later. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below. Are you orange-pilled already? Have you tried to orange-pill others? Um, what are your views on altcoins versus Bitcoin and all the other good stuff that will keep us busy for the next months and years to come. So thank you for watching and until next time.